Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Dispatched to a re-education center. 
Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. with Pet Floors of Houston. We specialize in luxury vinyl tile installations for your home or your office. We sell a high-performance floor that is perfect for anyone who has dogs or cats or is trying to get a floor that just looks beautiful without nearly the maintenance that other floors have. It's a heavy-duty commercial PVC product. It looks like wood or stone or tile. This is a floor choice that you find major retailers have in their stores or intimate cafe or even your fast food restaurant. The adhesive that we use is waterproof. The product is waterproof and so therefore you can use a bleach water solution, clean it right up and you're back to normal. It doesn't hold any odor, it's realistic, it's hygienic, it's affordable and there's no click 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 noise on it when you walk on this floor. It's just amazing. We've been in this house for about eight years and we've had some hardwood floors down and it was really one of those things that they were looking worn and need to be refinished and we were really looking for an alternative. We found Gary with Pep Floors and he came out and measured and the measurement process went very easily and when it came installation time, they came out here, did a fine job, the installers were great, the service has been great ever since. I love my new floors, they're great, extremely durable and they just look beautiful. From a cleaning standpoint, from an overall care standpoint, you don't even have to think about what you're doing. It's, it's, there's no special care. It's, it's really nice. We actually have a mobile showroom, so I can come out to your home or office at a time that's convenient for you, and I can show you the samples that would look right in your home. I can even help you make decisions and coach you through this. It's not like I've done this one or two times, but I've done it many, many times. So give me a phone call, and I'm happy to come out there. I do estimates for you right there on the spot, and it's all free of charge. Pet Floors of Houston. PetFloors.com. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, 
may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. As you know, this is the final stage in your examination. It's a rather informal test in which we try to get some line on your ability to think on your feet. Your reaction to stress and pressure. Clear your desk. Get your number two pencil ready. If you are ready, the Inquisition is about to begin. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. If you have questions, please refer them to the chat room and make them good. Go ahead. Make my day. yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? Live from Houston, Texas, a man who calls it like he sees it, without the normal political correctness he may have grown comfortable with. It's time for the Texas Perspective on current news and events. This show is not for the faint of heart or easily offended. Chances are you will learn something and along the way get to hear some great music from bands you may have missed. The doctor is in and he will see you now. Well, I guess we better get on with it. Yes, I guess we better get on with it. Those of you that are regular listeners can probably tell already that uh, this is not Doc Green. My name's Dave Wilson. I'm sitting in for Doc. He had a funeral to go to today, and so he asked me to sit in. And uh, I'm the director of the Cypress, Texas Tea Party, and uh, I have been uh, on Doc's show in the past. And uh, I'll tell you what, to be honest with you, I am just hoping we get through this, because Doc gave me some uh, quick tips on uh, how to run this station here, and so I'm going to do the best I can, and I just pray that uh, you bear with me here. Uh, We are live from the uh, selfdefensefund.com studio, and uh, before we get started too far here, I wanted to tell you a little about myself. Um, Again, my name is Dave Wilson. I've been retired for 37 years uh, in the energy industry. I retired last year. And over those 37 years, I've moved uh, 10 times, so I've experienced a lot of things. But I've lived in Cypress, Texas now for seven years. And I am the director of the Cypress, Texas Tea Party for the last five years. Also, I'm a Harris County Republican Party precinct chairman for the last four years. And uh, since I retired, one of the things that I did, I've been attending Cypher ISD school board meetings for for many, many years. But after I retired, I started, made a decision to attend uh, more of the board meetings of the uh, of the entities that spend our tax dollars. Uh, so I've expanded from going to the Cypher ISD board meetings. I also go to the Harris County Department of Education board meetings, Lone Star College, uh, ESD9, which uh, services our volunteer fire department and our emergency responders, also the Cypher volunteer fire department meetings. Uh, got two mud districts that are involved in the community that I live in, as also a water control district. 
And then I also go to uh, my community's uh, HOA meetings as well. So I consider myself a political activist, but probably more important than that, I like to consider myself an activist recruiter because, uh, you know, honestly, I'm no one special. It's one of those things that, uh, you know, when you get something in your craw and it's just really bugging you and you can't take it anymore, uh, you make a decision that you're, you're going to do something about it. And uh, I've been surprised to see that uh, when you do it in the right way, people will start listening to you. So you can really make a difference. And uh, that comes through relationships. That's one of the things that I've found. And uh, so with that kind of out of the way, uh, that, that's a little bit about me. But I want to uh, introduce to you Ken Hoover. Ken is with the uh, John Burt Society. Uh, he has been uh, uh, at my uh, Cypress, Texas Tea Party meetings in the past. He is the field coordinator, uh, lives in Cypress here. And uh, so, Ken, I want to welcome you, and uh, I appreciate you coming by today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, see how much talent is resides in Cypress, Texas, if you will, and certainly uh, appreciate you and your listenership, which I understand is it's a nationwide. It's a yeah, nationwide. yeah, that, that's, that definitely is. And uh, so... One of the things, uh, would you mind just, uh, many people may not be familiar with the John Burke Society. It's been around a long time, since the 50s, I'm aware of. Well, it's 9th of December, 1958. We're coming up on our 58th year yeah. in existence. Yeah. And so, uh, it's quite a story there as to how we came about. Uh-huh. And it's uh, quite, has he got the time? I do. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's got a lot of time for yeah. me today. Well, I think it's good to set the stage and, and let people understand and know, uh, you know a little about the history, where you come from, and, and what the organization is about. So, All right. Well, it, it stop me if I get bored of your detail. Sometimes it's uh, there's a tendency, I try not to, yeah. tell you how to build a watch when you're asking for what time it is. Understood. Uh, really, it began... And it's a gleam in the eye of a man named Robert Welch. Mm -hmm. Robert Welch was a product of that golden age of entrepreneurship. Uh, he was also a child prodigy, intellectual, very good businessman. Uh, he went to college at age 12. Uh, I might add before that, he'd been home educated and also a little bit of boarding school. University of North Carolina at age 12, graduated in 1915 in the upper, I want to say, uh, third, uh, ten percent of his class. I see. Then he went to the Navy Academy, mm -hmm. and he was there about three years. But the war, so-called war, the end all wars, Wilson's wars, <laughs> Wilson's war, that is, yeah, had ended. So he declined further investment in a military career. He tried uh, Harvard Law School for a little while. That was too liberal. And then he enrolled in the lifelong school of hard knocks. Uh -huh. you know what that is? Yeah, I, I think I've been through it a couple times. Well, if, if you start a business, <laughs> that's the school of art. And there are other ways to enter that school as well. And it was candy. <clears throat> Mr. Welch uh, had the advantage. He had a brother who was already in the business. Mr. Welch had a uh, car crash, maybe in his Model T or something like that, sidelined him. So that led to uh, he and his brother merging. Brother James yep. was very good at making sure the candy always tasted the same, mm -hmm. the manufacturing process. Right. Rob Welsh was good on sales, sales and marketing. The two came together and gave great success with Welch's chocolates, 
sugar daddy, sugar babies, and things like that. Yeah. A whole list of uh, candies that put smiles on people's faces during the Great Depression era of World War II. Well, it sounds like everything's going great here at this point. But as time went on, he began to see that the system, which allowed him and many other young men and, and, and ladies to, to realize that dream, was being worked over, being transformed mm-hmm. into a carbon copy, let's say a Benito Mussolini's with a little bit of Stalin thrown in there. Yeah. That was the New Deal, mm-hmm. called the Fair Deal. Yeah. So that began to concern him greatly. He wasn't the only one, but certainly he began to become concerned. And then on top of that, in the foreign affairs realm, the yeah. sellout and betrayal of American friends and allies in Eastern Europe and uh, China and Asia during uh, the conclusion of World War II and right afterward. And so he said, I've got to do something about this. Something was itching him, just like you said. Yeah. He knew it. He had that itch. Yep. And sooner or later, you got to scratch it. Mm-hmm. And he uh, first uh, delved into partisan politics. He was a, uh, involved in the Republican Party there in his adopted state of Massachusetts. I might add, he hailed from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, ran for uh, lieutenant governor in the year of our Lord, 1950, mm-hmm. Republican primary, <clears throat> finished in three out of five. Uh, then by 1952, he became involved with the presidential campaign of Senator Robert Taft. And Taft, to put that in perspective for your younger listeners, and which would even include me is that far back, Taft was basically the ideological grandfather of Ron Paul. He's had the <clears throat> libertarian paleotype conservatives, uh, Taft and then Goldwater and, and Paul. But Taft was uh, off limits by the establishment. They did everything they could to uh, take the uh, nomination from him. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. There was yeah. A, le- a nomination or a state convention in the Burg of Mineral Wells. Mineral Wells. Yeah. Party was a lot smaller then. And basically, there was a rump delegation. Oh, just saying, move a little closer to the mic. We Thank got you. some advice from our producer. Thank you. Which I totally appreciate, by the way. Appreciate him, too. Uh, rump convention. And anyway, the National Party recognized the rump, which, of course, was pro-Eisenhower. And then you saw modern Republicanism, where they began to rubber stamp the New Deal. Mm-hmm. Rob West then began to you know, look at third party briefly. Then he concluded that uh, what was really needed, first was a good understanding of where we stood. Here we are in the, in the, at that time, the days of Desi and Lucy. Yeah. American people, by that time, by more than one generation or more, had become divorced from the founding ideals of this nation. Yeah. So if you would pursue partisan politics based on the understanding that was just common at the grassroots, not to mention public education working to dissolve that, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't get very far. And if you got into office, they'd make life rough on you and so forth. You'd be isolated, maybe to one term, or maybe you'd be the token constitutionalist. So something else was needed. Yeah, yeah. And so he looked around, and nobody else was providing that something. Mm-hmm. So there was a number of publishers, mm-hmm. there was newsletters, and so on. No internet, of course, yet, but uh, newsletters that uh, had a mailing list, but no real grassroots activity. And so he sought to fill that gap. I see. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You're probably wondering, where's John Birch come from? 
Yeah, I knew that there was a connection. Actually, I read ahead a little, so I know the answer. But go ahead. Okay, well, just for the listeners. benefit of your listeners, yeah. John Birch was a missionary turned Army Air Corps intelligence officer yep. based in South China. Uh, World War II broke out. He directly enlisted into the Army Air Corps and General Claire Chenault. By the way, there's a just for fun, there's a really good museum on Claire Chenault in Monroe, Louisiana at the old... Selman Field. Anybody ever wants to go over there? I see. It's a cool thing to do. Yeah. That's my wife's hometown. I got to give a plug. <laughs> got to give a plug. Okay. Her town is not only that; she's got the Duck Dynasty there in her town as well. Exactly. So, and I've got the picture up, so my home. Now you can guess where we're from. Okay, moving along, seri- a more serious vein. Uh, Burst distinguished himself. He was at in military intelligence during the week, and on Sunday he preached. Uh, the war came to, whoops, I'm ahead of myself again. He distinguished himself, among other things, by organizing the rescue of downed American pilots, including General James Doolittle, a one-way raid over Tokyo. They had to ditch their planes in China. Yeah. And so he did, uh, he put that together. He was uh, he got a medal for that and so forth. Okay, the war ends. Uh, he led a patrol that crisscrossed communist Chinese territory because the war in mainland China was three-sided. Communist, the imperialist, imperial Japan, that is, and the nationalist. Mm-hmm. Now, now you said he was a missionary at this time? Initially missionary. Initially, okay. And directly enlisted into the Army Air Corps. Got it. Rose to the rank of captain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, he led that patrol. They crisscrossed the territory. They were captured by the communist Chinese. And they uh, basically, the communist Chinese banded him to death, captured his men, and held him for ransom. Which our State Department quietly did, cave into that. Chenault was already back home, wouldn't have put up with that. Uh, and such, and it was hidden, covered up by our own State Department until Senator William Nolan of California, and there was a conservative Republicans representing California in those days. Yep. And Nolan made a speech on the Senate floor. And John Birch, who he was, and along with the lines of who lost China. Uh, Welch heard about that speech. Ah. And contacted the Bir- uh, Birch's family, who lived in Georgia, and so on, and squad mates that were very much alive and active in that finest generation, uh, and put together a book called The Life of John Birch. Oh, is that right? And that was written before there was a John Birch Society. Yeah. And, but that long, and then there was a larger book that Mr. Welsh wrote at the same time called May God Forgive Us about the fall of China to communism mm-hmm. and how we gave it a push. You know, I, I know that the John Birch Society has had a history with regards to, uh, uh, I don't know, fighting communism is the right thing, but I, I would say uh, unearthing uh, communist influences in the government. Oh, yes, it was big time with the uh, State Department and the China situation. Right. Uh, they were very infiltrated. Right. Uh, several ways from sundown. Mm-hmm. And the, the Truman administration just would not face up to it. Right. And Eisenhower, all they did was just kind of uh, bury it a little bit, put yep. some to sand over it and so on. Anyway, he wrote those books and then started his own publication, but it was an occasional journal mm-hmm. called One Man's Opinion. And it was just his opinion right. coming out when he could get it out. But in those pages, he was the first American to cite Fidel Castro as a communist. That was big news in 1956. Well, that, that's kind of interesting, yeah. You, you would think today everybody knows about that, but back during the 1950s. Oh, no, it was the state, the Eisenhower State Department was promoting Castro. He's a uh, godsend from the Sierra Monsters and all that type of thing. And the national media was as well. 
so things began to speed up. Other authors were attracted to, to one man's opinion. It became a monthly known as American Opinion, a monthly uh, periodical. And that led ultimately, as things began to really speed up, to Mr. Welch arriving at the position where it was time to put feet behind the words. Mm-hmm. And now, so it formed, and so we had a founding meeting, the 8th and 9th of December, 1958, at a little house in Indianapolis, Indiana. And Mr. Welch called together to his side a number of uh, business giants. Mm-hmm. And those were really tremendous people, retired generals and some academics and even a couple of Hollywood types. Yeah. And now that came their national, original board of the John Burns Society. Again, this movement that would be named after an appropriate martyr whose life was really embodied, not just the finest of the finest generation, but finest of any generation of Americans. Yeah. And by the way, that, as far as we can tell, Birch was the first, at least recorded, death of an American in uniform at the hands of the communists. As far as we know of, <laughs> and so they uh, launched the society, and the idea that the job of the Birch Society would be to have give it national leadership, but it'd be a body, not just an organization that could be splintered, mm-hmm. and that national leadership would have local chapters, right? They'd be volunteers, but supervised, mm-hmm. okay, not field staff, and the idea is they would work to carry out our agenda, which was educational. Mm-hmm. And that we would carve out our own channel of communication by our growth and by our activity that would bypass big media, bypass academia, and take the word, the truth, straight to the American people. Mm-hmm. How, how Empowering them with the truth, and thus after a time, would buy that truth would sink into the ideological water table of the community, thus allowing for the reflowering mm-hmm. of constitutional government and the Austrian exposure of those that are working to enslave us. And so we started the John Burke Society and began to organize in early 1959. Okay, uh, how would you evaluate uh, yourself personally, the success of the John Birch Society? Now, obviously, I know that you, you know, being the field coordinator and all, that you, uh, you, you definitely are, are more in tune to what goes on there than probably the average listener that's out here with us today. Well, basically, a lot of our successes have been behind the scenes. Okay. And originally, we kind of sought that because uh, the media was in a small number of hands. Mm-hmm. That's improved now. Mm-hmm. But back then, there's your three networks, and the newspapers were all kind of a, part of the same cabal, or many of them, many mm-hmm. of the dailies. There were some staunch independents. Houston Chronicle in the 50s was a conservative paper. Really? Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, they had promoted McCarthy in the 50s. Really did. And, and Chicago Tribune was well into the late 60s or whatever when finally Colonel McCormick passed on, he went into the wrong hands, and the L.A. Times even was a, in conservative mode at one point. And so the media, the print media was going the wrong way. So we simply decided, let's just do our work and not seek all this publicity. And uh, the cumulative accumulation of our efforts basically threw the socialist timetable off by a generation. I'm talking 40 years. Mm-hmm by preventing the passage of hundreds of unconstitutional bills in the Congress. With, through our support of your local police program, uh, the implementation of a national police force, which is coming back. Preventing the loss of American independence to the United Nations. Because, gee, when we started our Get Us Out campaign in the early 60s, somebody took a poll, 85% of the American people were pro-UN. 
about 10 years ago, somebody took another poll, not quite, about eight years ago, mm-hmm. and it came out 78% against the UN, mm-hmm. which also points to if, we're that, if it's that unha- unpopular, why are we in it? Right. Because there's this pan that's not quite visible that's got everybody by the collar, including the conservatives, that sometimes they just don't touch. Mm-hmm. But we don't worry about that. We touch those things if necessary. Uh, the North American Union, well, that was a very recent accomplishment. Right. And, uh, and such. And there are other regional agreements. Uh, we prevent, so far prevented the destruction of the Constitution by treaty and also through a constitutional convention, which is the same thing, sports fans, as the Convention of the States. There is no substantial difference whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So it's ultimate dog and pony to assert that the two are different. Well, that, that is one of the things that I do want to delve into in more detail, and I, I think we'll probably get into that in the next segment. So if you had to boil down uh, what the <clears throat> concern, uh, well, uh, the deterrent issues are. Uh, well, we have a national agenda. Yep. Okay. It's found in our in a periodical, and again, since we are doing a little Skype here, I'll bring it up yeah. in case anybody can see this. Okay. And, uh, yeah, there it is, the monthly bulletin. Yep. And it features, among other things, our national agenda. Number one is growing the society, chapter-wise, member-wise. In order to accomplish the rest, we've got to have the growth. Okay, item two is stop the new world order. And right under that, or it's a subset of that, mm-hmm. is stop the so-called free trade agenda, Yeah, the trade packs. Yeah. Take to this TPP business, and we're looking at now, there's going to be a lame duck session. I think it begins November 14th, because Congress adjourned to last Friday. And uh, they're going to try to come at least... Some of them are saying we're not we're going to deal with it. Some are saying not. We're asking our people to tell the Congress, no. What part of the no don't you understand? The end of the O. Exactly. No uh, lame duck session for dealing with that. First, Congress needs to do their job. They're not doing their job. I mean, look at this ICANN business where the uh, Obama basically turned over the Internet uh, to uh, the tutelage, if you will, and supervision of this U.N.-affiliated Internet uh, Corporation right. or signed numbers and names or names and numbers. Mm-hmm. I can. That did that over the weekend. Yep, they did. And uh, Congress needs to go back and undo that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the, uh, the trade packs, and then item three or Roman numeral three, the Constitution, which is mostly stop the uh, con con, but also constructive alternatives. Mm-hmm. And this is somewhere I wish Doc was here because he would love to talk a little more about oh, this. Yeah. Well, we're certainly on board. With nullification and interposition, mm-hmm. and and I am as well. But you know, that takes <laughs> cojones. Yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> cojones is right. I was looking for the word, and I, that's the one that they came up with. You know, that that is something that. Uh, but you know, I, I've read the uh, uh, the book, uh, the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates. I love the book. Yeah, I love it. Isn't that Thank a good you book? But I'll tell you what, you know, people are put in positions for a reason, and uh, it is to represent the people. It's not to represent uh, their superiors or that that greater magistrate. It is to represent the people. And, uh, you know, that's where, when you talk about nullification, that's exactly what this is talking about. When you talk about the Tenth Amendment, how it's been trampled by our federal government, uh, it is one of our best defenses, but it's rarely used. Well, and the other thing is also in Article 3, when you're talking about the uh, judicial power, how about limiting appellate jurisdiction? Mm-hmm. That's lined out, lined out specifically. And there's impeachment of judges, and there's 
you could decertify certain uh, courts. Mm-hmm. You're right, because if you can install them, you can uninstall them. The only thing you can't uninstall uh, is the Supreme Court, because the Constitution mentions it. I Although, I will say, in the Constitution more than once, it's not capital Supreme Court, small s. That's right. Supreme Court. That's right. And so it's not the final authority. Final authority to be used, I might add, just common sense, in matters of exegesis, uh, is uh, nullification. Exactly. Exactly. And states uh, a final word as to the constitutionality. Yep. But it probably takes kahunas, and it's not uh, being used like it should. That's where education comes in. We need to educate these reps, and maybe, maybe they'll find a backbone. Mm-hmm. State reps, state senators, and so on. Ken, uh, with regards to the John Birch Society, uh, roughly what kind of membership do you have across the United States? Tens of thousands of members. Okay. I wanted to say, if you let me say a little bit more sure. about the agenda. Sure. We're also you know, seeing the rise of calls for a nationalized police mm-hmm. coming from the Ferguson and Ed all and almost weekly shootings. Yes. And so forth. <coughs> Excuse me. From uh, <coughs> municipal authorities that are very left liberal people that are associated with the Obama administration, and so on. We've seen even the smart cities thing uh, uh, basically would add a U.N. dimension to this, because the idea is to get all this coal left under the U.N. in time. All for a good deal. Oh, yeah. All for our security. The goal is world government. So we have revived our support your local police and keep them independent campaign. So that's another big agenda. And then the other things are... are, uh, because we have a regular ongoing legislative agenda, mm-hmm. and it's in the bulletin, but it's also on, on uh, give it online and updates come out when needed and so forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know? Uh, do Do you uh, uh, collaborate? That was the word I was looking for. Do you collaborate with other groups too, or there's well, like on the ConCon for and the TPP, we're working closely with Eagle Forum. Eagle Forum. Okay. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Here in Texas on. Uh, Concon working for the C working with the C4L mm-hmm. campaign for liberty. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Oath keepers. Uh, been, a lot of these groups have been were more prominent a few yeah. years ago. They kind of disappeared semi with the uh, too much emphasis on one guy running for president and not enough for oh, anything yeah. else. Oh and, yeah, uh, everybody's looking for a savior. It seems like that's and, right. And, but we need to look in the mirror. The savior's us. Yep. The people. That that is exactly the formed right. electorate. And, and, that's know, the answer. That, that's one of the things that I that I want to expand when we come back from our break that's coming up, uh, is that uh, the informed electorate and the power of the masses, and I think that's what's really important. So uh, anyway, Frank's going to take us out of here to a few messages here, and uh, we'll be right back. amazing Doc Green Show is on the air. TV and
and radio are great mediums for mass instruction, but for those times when you just want to hold something in your hands, there is the damn good times. I still love the newspaper, but I'm tired of the liberal bias. That's why I reach for the damn good times. Always full of interesting stories and great information, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep by calling 281-332-5710 or sending an email to news at thedamngoodtimes.com. Just $50 a year will get a full subscription. It's a great gift for all the patriots you know. Do it now. Maintaining your home air conditioner is just as important as maintenance on your car. You don't know the big difference there's going to be until you've had the work done. I thought my system was working fine, but now it's better than ever. Galen Beatty did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Good servicing will not only keep your system performing well during the sweltering summers here in Houston, but it will save you money year after year. In my case, it cut my AC power consumption by 20%. Do what I did. Have Galen Beatty set up regular AC maintenance to cut your energy bill and prevent system failure at the worst time. And what's better than being comfortable and saving money? Whether you need a basic tune-up or it's time to put in a new super-efficient system, you should call BDAC, 281-222-9591. That's 281-222-9591 to schedule an AC system tune-up. BDAC and Heat. That's B-E-E-A-C and Heat.com. BDAC and Heat.com. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called, and you're potentially involved in a homicide. But it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. Well, hello again. This is Dave Wilson. Uh, again, uh, uh, Doc is out today at a funeral, and uh, so I'm uh, at the helm, so to speak, and uh, I am just trying to kind of weave my way through some things here, and I uh, hope get through the day. Uh, Doc will be back tomorrow. You'll hear him loud and clear, but I'll tell you what. Uh, I really do enjoy being able to to uh, take over for him in the SelfDefenseFund.com studio. 
Uh, it really is an honor. I've been a guest on his show several times, but uh, boy, sitting here behind the controls, that, that's something different. Uh, I got with me Ken Hoover. He's uh, the uh, field coordinator with the John Birch Society. And uh, Ken, we were talking before the break uh, about, and one thing I'd like to expand on a little bit is how important it is to uh, energize the grassroots. I heard you mention that several times, and, and honestly, Ken, that is the passion of my heart. And uh, I have seen, you know, being a, you know, I consider myself an activist with the Cypress Texas Tea Party. When, when I look at it, I'm just going to kind of give you my take on it a little bit, and then I want you to expand on that, is that our group is one such that, uh, you know, we don't have any membership dues. Uh, we don't uh, ask anything of people other than to come, be educated, and take some action. And if I am not being able to energize the people, they won't come to meetings, I won't be able to get speakers, and we'll be dead. I mean, this is true free market here. And, but the thing that I've seen is that when we have uh, an issue that we can galvanize around, it really helps. One of the things that we did in the past was <clears throat> we started looking at what is the best way to change our federal government that's out of control? And so I want to ask you that question uh, with regards to tactics. And, uh, you know, there's some people, for example, that might say that, you know, it, uh, that the, you know, the Democrats are out in left field, Republicans are corrupted, there's no viable third party, but maybe we need to make a viable third party. And then there's others that talk about Texas secession. Uh, there are a lot of things, all of which I think are worthy of conversation. Uh, but, Ken, from your perspective, what do you think the best tactics are to... Well, you got to start at the beginning. Yeah. <clears throat> and you start at the beginning of our nation. Because mm -hmm. there's really two, com two competing worldviews here that you'll see. One of them embodied in the COS gang, the Convention of the States Project, USP, and then, and then society and, and more traditional groups. And that is, did the Founding Fathers, is the question, did the Founding Fathers give us a top-down national government or nationalist government right. for the most part? Right. With just a little uh, area of uh, latitude. And then that latitude went away with the armies of Lincoln, uh, et cetera. Or was there a con something different? Again, you mentioned Matthew Truhella's book. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about a compact form of government. Right. Where the greaters, if you already throw the states, and they were the equals. And they came together and said there's certain things that we can do better together That's right. than apart. And so let's create this defined, delegated central government or government with delegated powers. With certain limited powers. Limited. Limited. And be governed by a written constitution. That's right. And that constitution, by the way, is not obsolete. It's based on the Founding Fathers' knowledge of human nature and uh, the Bible, history, things like that. Uh, those are timeless. Yes. Uh, and so if you begin with a compact form of government, therefore, that does allow, regardless of whose army prevailed in 1865, does allow for the continuity of having no state nullification, mm -hmm. the interposition. Now, the interposition you... separately. Uh, at certain times, you're dealing with uh, uh, regulations and so on, like we did a few several years ago, trying to fight the TSA and the groping and all that. 
But null true nullification, which has to have it in a position, is basically the state governor, state legislature, saying that law is not going to fly here in the state of Texas. It's unconstitutional. And that's not accomplished by filing lawsuits. That's okay. But I'm afraid Mr. Paxton is, is filing lawsuits until he's blue in the face. Mm. It's not going to move him. We need a, a, a gov- the governor to uh, get up there on the steps of the Capitol and say no. Okay. Now, uh, that's not to say that the lawsuits uh, are not totally effective. I did notice that uh, Obama, you know, the Supreme Court has turned down Obama with regards to his amnesty program. Yes, that was good. And uh, he has asked the uh, Supreme Court to reconsider that decision, and they said no. So to a certain extent, that is a form of nullification which went through the courts. And that was good. You didn't have to uh, come down to... uh Really pushed uh, versus shove, but too exactly. often you're going to have to because there's so many things that could have been done. For example, to stop abortion or limited. Mm-hmm. I say limited. You know, you got up to about 1973, and you had a number of states, but most mostly liberal states, that had uh, abolished their laws against uh, abortion. Yes. Then you had the rest of us, including the South, including Texas, and so on. And you had this awful decision out of Roe versus Wade. Yep, in 73. Which, which simply mm-hmm. turned the Constitution on its uh, head. I mean, it's totally. Number one, there's no federal authority over medical procedures or medical care whatsoever uh, in the Constitution for the central government. So it's an area that remains with the states. And secondly, the court is supposed to interpret law, not legislate. So they assumed as a federal authority, they proceed to legislate based on a real kind of a fantasy that they uh, created out of whole cloth, that this uh, there was a right of privacy uh, at common law. Well, if there were labor rights of privacy, if you go through those decisions over the centuries, there never was a general right of privacy, but it's there, and they, they, as they put it, it's in the emanations from the penumbra of the Bill of Rights is this general right of privacy, which somehow allows a woman to kill her own offspring in the, in the womb, which is horrible. Well, let me ask you this, Ken. And that has been with... Uh, vexing us, and I might add, not just to pick on the Republican Party, but there's an educational reason for this, the knowledge of the Article 3, Section uh, Section 2, Paragraph 2, Restriction of Appellate Jurisdiction, has been there all along. It was considered briefly in the early days of the Reagan administration, Senator Helms and Senator Helms and East of North Carolina wanted to do it. No, they said, let's go amend the Constitution. Let's have this perfect pro-life amendment, which was had some problems. Number one, all the amendments beforehand were restricting government. Here was an amendment, as worthy as it seemed, that would restrict the individual. So that's a problem right there. Why not allow the states, as before, to make those restrictions? So everything became a centralized situation, and of course, we still have abortion on demand uh, in 50 states. Not only been able to whittle away at it here and there. Let me ask you, Ken, what would be the uh, uh, best example of nullification and interposition that has happened already? Or well, is there not a good example? Well, there's been a nice familiar one, but there's been some gun rights. Gun rights. Type of deals up in the uh, upper Midwest and Plain States. Okay. Perhaps, but not uh, up on the details of that. Okay. Then uh, let me ask you this. What do By the you- way, the Tenth Amendment Center is probably the best website to go to for all things notification. Yeah, yeah, it is. What? Okay, so while you're speaking about that being an important tactic to use, 
that isn't one that the John Birch Society as such uh, is emphasizing, or no, we are do, they? We do emphasize uh, notification, okay. imposition, imposition. We also though, haven't given up on the Congress, so we ask Congress to restrict appellate jurisdiction on the Supreme Court. Uh, the atrocious uh, decision on gay marriage is, I can't, don't get me started on it. I, I, I understand. Now, if you were going to pick one issue that is out there today, and there are many that involve government overreach, what would you identify, in, in your own personal opinion, uh, would be the ideal one to use nullification and interposition on? Do you have one in particular that would well, be Well, I think the gay marriage thing would be a real good one. Uh-huh. Because, of course, you'd have to station uh, DPS troopers at every courthouse to tell these uh the strange people that we're not going to provide provide them uh, with the imprimatur of a marriage license. Yeah, and and of course you mentioned Matthew Heller's book. Matthew Heller really gets to the core of it. Yes, it's not a matter of religious liberty. Heller argues that those who argue this is a religious liberty case are trying to create a safe space for the Christian community to allow them to get off the hook, because it's the duty of the civil magistrate to enforce God's law, moral law. And certainly uh, in the created order, there were biblical laws uh, in the Old Testament on affinity and consanguinity, mm. and that's still today. Anybody comes up and says, well, what about intermarriage or whatever, that's just the, the liberals playing the race card mm. like they always do. When they don't have a counterargument, they'll play the race card because they have no argument. What do you think about the, the government just getting out of the marriage business? I mean, why don't we leave that as a uh, religious institution that's handled that's by the church? That's creating the safe space for Christians. Civil magistrate is supposed to back up the moral law. Oh, I'm sorry. I kind of shifted gears on you. I wasn't necessarily suggesting that that is a case for interposition. I was talking about a right. different approach to marriage. Yeah, I, I don't go with that, really. Okay. All right. And uh, well, marriage laws were in place in my lifetime, in your lifetime, and, many, and just to give up on it altogether and cede that to the other side, no, no. Okay, I understand. Civil government has a duty to enforce the laws of affinity and consanguinity. What is it going to take? And they always did until all this extreme uh, left-wing activism hit the courts and in grassroots. Now, for example... It's caused a lot of people this stuff to come out from under the, under the uh, rocks. And so my wife was substitute teaching at a school not far from where we are. I won't name it. Right. Last week, a little third grader, a little girl, proudly announced that two of her three mommies were going to be married soon. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but that's the world we live in today, isn't it? Uh, you know? Well, civil government is allowing for it, you see. <clears throat> it's always going to be there. Man's fallen, man's the sinner. The founding fathers knew that. Mm -hmm. uh, but to, to embrace it, no, you're risking a lot. No, I, I totally agree. And and civil government is falling for it. And uh, you're right. I One of the things that I've been so focused on, and obviously I mentioned, uh, you know, when we started off, you know, talking about me and my background, is that the, uh, you know, the fact that I'm attending all these board meetings is I recognize the importance of local government. At that level, you you have a significant voice. People will listen to you. You you know, you can attend the board meetings. You can talk to people face to face. I mean, you can. You can tweet your U.S. representative and your U.S. senator all day long, and, and I'm not saying that the, that doesn't have some weight and some value, 
But uh, when you're talking about the local government and, and doing things like that, I think uh, that's where you can have an effect. Well, you can, because keep in mind, though, that school districts are <clears throat> loaded up to the gills with federal dollars. That's true, and, and that, that's kind of like one of those things that they, they hold over people's heads, mm -hmm. too. Uh, recently, uh, I had an issue with the Cypher ISD that I don't know if you heard from Doc's program or not. Uh, well, I but, read some from uh, Ginger. Okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, when I was attending the board meeting there in August, uh, they had started that meeting, had a moment of silence, and in essence replaced that uh, uh, opening invocation for their meetings with this moment of silence. And so, moment of silence at a meeting like John Burt's meetings? Mm -hmm. We have them when somebody dies. Yeah, exactly. You know, we have an invocation, and then there's a moment of silence in memory of Blah, blah. Well, that is exactly what I was feeling, because they said we're going to uh, pause for a moment of silence, so I was waiting for them to tell me who died, because that's what I'm accustomed mm -hmm. to yeah, as well. Too. And then, you know, after I approached the board afterwards and the attorney, and they told me, well, this is the same moment of silence they have in the classrooms. Obviously, I haven't been in a classroom for a long period mm -hmm. of time, but I had no knowledge that that's what they were doing. Uh, but as a result of that, we got some good patriots together. At the next uh, board meeting that they had, uh, we sat there. We said the Lord's Prayer during that moment of silence. And I do know that the board members, they're good Christian people. They pray prior to the board meeting as a group, you know, in private, if you will, right before the board meeting starts. So they got good intentions. But the problem with the whole thing was the fact that they had received an email from an, a gentleman that doesn't even live in the district. And as a result of that email, someone that has no standing whatsoever has no complaint with the district because he's never been to a board meeting mm -hmm. and it's not an issue for him somehow he can affect the way that our governmental agency does their business. That's where I object. This board, they are elected by us, we the people, and uh, for them to take action like that, and they use the guise of, you know, they were avoiding potential liability for the taxpayers based upon a lawsuit that they may or may not win. Uh, that is not, may or may not be filed, even. Well, exactly. In this people case, operate on bluff. Exactly. The communists over the decades and centuries now have operated made advances, often mostly on bluff. Exactly. Exactly. And other tools, their and, tactics. And we need to call their bluffs. And that's where it comes back to the cojones word that I used before. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes. But the thing that I like about activism and what we were talking about before is when you get people show up to a meeting or a hearing or something of that nature and they speak the desires of the people, that does give these elected officials and these bureaucrats, if you will, it does give them the ammunition they need to do the right thing. Now it comes down to whether or not they have the cojones to do it. But that's, and again, that that's kind of what fuels my passion with regards to activism. Well, Christy, in the school district, you have these careerist uh, bureaucrats and so forth, and uh, they go right along with uh, any kind of objection coming from left field. Because they know in one way that ultimately that could affect their federal dollars and whatever. And that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. yeah. That's why the John Burns Society wants to put some separation between, quite a bit of separation between school and state, at least as far as K-12 is concerned, and why we have offered a market-driven moral alternative 
called Freedom Project Academy. Mm-hmm. And basically that school at home, K through 12, classical, the type of education the founding fathers uh, cut their teeth on. Is that nationwide? Or nationwide. Is that nationwide. Okay. And we have about 35 or 40 teachers that give their time, that contribute their time. Uh, not well for money, but of course they, they, they're there. We have 700 kids, mm-hmm. uh, and that's about uh, again K through 12. Right. So it, how long it's is two, this? It's tuition mm-hmm. uh, based. Uh, to, uh, enrollment for 2016-17 is closed at the moment because mm-hmm. we got a full house, and uh, we'll uh, bump it back up. Of course, for 17 and 18, several months from now. Right. Uh, and it's been around about five years. Okay. Now, uh, th- this is a Internet-based curriculum? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. You go online yep. at certain times of day for your classes. Yep. And you interact with a live teacher. Okay. Okay, so it and is. You can see her or whatever she wants to show you on her right. Internet whiteboard, and she sees you as an icon rather than uh, uh, your dirty dishes or whatever exactly. else around you. Okay. And uh, it would seem like uh, it's interesting that you mentioned that enrollment's closed for this year, but there there is a limit with regards to how many students a teacher can basically handle. Yeah, well, we'll do a good job. And sometimes okay. when you get these kids, we're going to have remedial in spite of you think, well, conservatives shouldn't need that. But the conservatives live in a messy world. They have uh, broken homes or the grandparents are raising kids. Okay. And so all kinds of reasons for, for remedial uh Studying to bring them up to par because this is you know, raising the bar. Okay, and it features Latin and features Greek at some point. I so see. This is again what the founding fathers learned or how they learned. Mm-hmm. It's a robust liberal arts education that's so paramount necessity. Oh yeah, for us to remain a republic, our leaders you know, of our nation have to have that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how, how long has this uh, education alternative uh, been in existence? We've had this for five years. Five years, okay, all right. And then, so you've seen steady growth, have you? Yes, or? we have. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. News. And again, we go out to these homeschool shows and, and display right. and, and so forth, and it's a real competitive market. There are all mm-hmm. kinds of programs out there uh, for home uh, homeschooling. The difference here is, is the parent. One of the key differences is the coach rather than the teacher. I see. So it does free up some time. Mm-hmm. It's Chad. Now the parent's job is to see that the work gets done. Right. Right. But not do the teaching. Right. Well, that's interesting. So then this would require some uh, involvement from the parent to obviously some make problems. sure that, uh, that that would continue. But that would be no different than homeschooling. Uh, obviously, it would be a lot even, even in private school or public schools, parents should be involved to see they do their homework. They should be, but that's where much of the problem is, in my estimation, is the fact that we don't have that involvement. And uh, it, it's one of those sad things. And... Uh, I've been involved with schools for quite a period of time. I volunteer at a, at a middle school here in Cyprus that is one of the Title I schools. Mm. And uh, it's interesting to see uh, the, the issues that they have to deal with when you don't have parental involvement. Uh-huh. And uh, so, how, uh, well, one thing, uh, again, my wife's been in the school business for a yes. long, long time, that we've noticed that some of the Title I type schools have uh, tried to compensate and sometimes quite successfully. They, uh, particularly the elementary, you know, usually that's where women teach, right? Right. Traditionally. Right. And when you see a school that's, that's uh, buffed up on uh, with men teachers, mm-hmm. it's elementary, you know that there's a reason for that. Yes. And, and, and to overcome 
the lack of a father at home. Exactly. And a lot of times that helps. It does. It does. Well, I'll tell you. In fact, we're in an area of Houston where there's a number of schools that are in that category, just a little bit south of here, Mm -hmm. and a little bit west, Mm -hmm. in the Cy Fair District. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that uh, I'm involved with also through our church, we're involved with a coaches outreach where we do a Bible study with coaches, and I'm working with the uh, some of the coaches over at Cy Ranch High School, and uh, we meet with them. But this whole group, one of the reasons that they got involved is they saw the opportunity there, the impact that coaches can have on the lives of these young kids. And because, as you said before, many times they don't have that influence that they need at home. And so who do they have to look up to, especially when many of the teachers are female? But, you know, the coaches typically, you know, when they're out for uh, – uh, baseball, football, or whatever the sport may be, uh, does kind of help bridge that gap. And it's important uh, to have those people be well-grounded and you'd be surprised at how they can just present a, uh, a, a moral way that they conduct their business without proselytizing the impact that they can have on people's lives. And uh, honestly, it's the same thing we talk about with activism. I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir a little bit because you're an activist just like I am. And uh, uh, that that's one of those important things. So I am really impressed to hear it. And tell me about the name of that again, the school system. <coughs> Freedom, oh, the, Pro- Freedom Project Academy. Freedom Project Academy. And sponsored by our 501c3 American Opinion Foundation. Okay. And, but you can get through it on the Internet just by going directly to Freedom Project Academy. Yeah. Do you have any idea? Because uh, obviously, uh, since it's 501c3, you have people that, that donate to that even though you know, it's yes, not through do. tuition. Yes, uh, you, yes. And the, the gifts are tax deductible. Exactly. And, uh, you know. We have a, one guy named Dave Drake who takes care of development mm-hmm. for the uh, uh, Freedom Project Academy. Mm-hmm. Now, where is it based out of? Are these teachers all over the U.S.? Teachers just all like the over students? the U.S. Okay. And now the Freedom Project Academy is just a few blocks from the John Burt Society headquarters. In Appleton? share the same uh, board of directors, yes, in Appleton, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Duke Pesta, P-E-S-T-A, is the director of Freedom Project Academy. I see. He's doing a great job. Yeah. Well, he's got a little radio, uh, internet radio thing, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't even aware that the John Birch Society was involved in that. Is there other things that uh, they're involved with that I might not be aware well, of? Well, you know, we have a magazine. It's called The New American. Yep, I was aware of that. Okay, I and we have an online edition of it. Oh, I see. And uh, we have alerts about key articles Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Go to anybody who wants that. Okay. Uh, we publish books. Mm-hmm. And we publish reprinted articles from our magazine. You know, one of the things I'd be remiss We're very involved in social media. Mm-hmm. We encourage everybody to go to John Burke Society on uh, social media, on Facebook, yep. and the New American. And you'll see a host of good articles and legislative alerts and things that we encourage you, the listener, to let it go viral. Put your giant on Hancock on it. Send, if yep. you will, to your uh, those who follow you. And help us get this word out. Yeah, that's great. And uh, can I be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, when are your meetings? Uh, you you have local meetings here with your chapter? We have, or, uh, <clears throat> or you have events? We have event. We have local meetings here in Houston because of the way this crazy place is laid out right now. Mostly it's our business and professional chapter, which is a luncheon with speakers. 
that uh, happens uh, 10 times a year. 10 times a year, okay. okay. In other words, we skip July for vacation, December for Christmas, mm-hmm. and all that. Uh, let's see, last month, <clears throat> we had Carlos Bringier, who's a, uh, someone actually knew Lee Oswald, he's a Cuban exile, lives in the Woodlands, to him speak. We've got Dick, uh, Dr. Neil Frank on climate change coming up here in October. Mm-hmm. And uh, a former guest of uh, Doc's, Barbara Harless, will be with us in November. And we meet on the third Thursday of the month at noon at Christie's Seafood. Oh, yeah. And it is yeah. $25, for, uh, and you have a choice of four entrees, free parking. That sounds great. That sounds great. And your next meeting is when? Repeat that. It is again. the October 20th. October 20th. That's okay. Dr. Neil Frank. All right. That sounds great. For those of you who, well, wait a minute. Now, uh, he, he dropped out of the full-time TV in 08, and you've been here seven years. Yeah. So you might not have enjoyed him as much uh, coming later. But those of, of you who are longer, longer, lived longer in the Houston areas, for sure have fond memories of Dr. Neal. And he's brought back periodically by Channel 11 when a hurricane is on the threshold. I see. Well, that sounds great. We're coming up to a break right now. When we come back, we're going to get Rusty from on the border. He's going to be calling in, and we're going to be talking to him about some of the things that are going on down there. So stay with us, and we'll be back very soon. The amazing Doc Green Show is on the air. from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. I'm Gary Wilcox with Pet Floors of Houston. We specialize in luxury vinyl tile installations for your home or your office. 
we sell a high-performance floor that is perfect for anyone who has dogs or cats or is trying to get a floor that just looks beautiful without nearly the maintenance that other floors have. It's a heavy-duty commercial PVC product. It looks like wood or stone or tile. This is a floor choice that you find major retailers have in their stores or intimate cafe or even your fast food restaurants. The adhesive that we use is waterproof. The product is waterproof, and so therefore, you can use a bleach water solution, clean it right up, and you're back to normal. It doesn't hold any odor, it's realistic, it's hygienic, it's affordable, and there's no click, click, click noise on it when you walk on this floor. It's just amazing. We've been in this house for about eight years, and we've had some hardwood floors down. And it was really one of those things where they were looking worn and need to be refinished, and we were really looking for an alternative. We found Gary with Pep Floors, and he came out and measured. And the measurement process went very easily, and when it came installation time, they came out here, did a fine job. The installers were great. The service has been great ever since. I love my new floors. They're great, extremely durable, and they just look beautiful. From a cleaning standpoint, from an overall care standpoint, you don't even have to think about what you're doing. It's, it's, there's no special care. It, it's really nice. Actually, have a mobile showroom so I can come out to your home or offices at a time that's convenient for you and I can show you the samples that would look right in your home I can even help you make decisions and coach you through this it's not like I've done this one or two times but I've done it many many times so give me a phone call and I'm happy to come out there I do estimates for you right there on the spot and it's all free of charge They said the doctor's in, and that's not quite true today because uh, Doc is off at a funeral for a friend of his. And so my name's Dave Wilson. I'm the director of the Cypress, Texas Tea Party. I'm filling in for Doc, doing the best that I can today. And uh, anyway, I uh, uh, right before the break, we had uh, Rusty from On the Border uh, had called in. And uh, I don't know, Frank, do we have him back on the line? Uh, Rusty, are you there? I hear silence. Uh, He hadn't called back yet, so I will watch for the call, and when he gets back in, uh, we will uh, talk with him. I do have a couple of other things that I wanted to talk about today, and uh, one is, uh, you know, what is the difference between uh, civil disobedience and mob rule? You know, because as far as I'm concerned in uh, today's day and times, you know, the news that we hear, you know, we have mob rule going on there. And uh, to give you an example of that, uh, you know, we recently we had a a video where there was a, a California Highway Patrol car with an officer inside. And he had responded to several calls about illegal street racing and reckless driving and found himself surrounded by a mob of angry people. And this was out in California, some of whom yelled and cursed at him while others hit and kicked his vehicle as he sat inside. F the police. We run the streets, they said, according to the Fresno police chief, Jerry Dyer. And the incident happened on the afternoon of September 25th. The Fresno Police Department and California Highway Patrol received reports of a large crowds blocking traffic a few miles outside of downtown Fresno, according to the police department. Well, a California Highway Patrol officer 
who was first on the scene, spotted a reckless driver and got out of the vehicle to make a traffic stop, the police department said. Then people began yelling at the driver to leave. The driver sped away and the officer went back to his vehicle to chase him. That's when a crowd of about 30 to 40 uh, people surrounded the officer's sport utility vehicle. Several people can be seen violently kicking the sides of the SUV while others recorded the incidents on their phone. The officer, whose name wasn't released, was able to drive away unharmed. So over the past week, the police department has posted to its Facebook site several still photos taken from the videos of the attack. Three men, and they have their names here, have been arrested in connection with the incident, according to the media reports. Rodriguez was the driver. The, a, a gentleman by the name of Milton Rodriguez, 29, was the driver whom the officer tried to pull over. The officer's dash cam and license plate reader was able to collect the information about the Chevrolet Tahoe that Rodriguez was driving, according to the paper. One of the suspects was arrested after his fingerprints were traced from the officer's SUV, according to media reports. One of them also admitted to investigators he was upset with a CHP for towing his car. So both Gonzalez, uh, two of the people were members of a bulldog gang, the Fresno Bee reported. The attack resulted in about $12,000 worth of damage to the patrol car, had several dents, shattered windows, and police are still looking for more suspects. Uh, we're working to identify as many people as possible that were involved in the incidents, and we're going to arrest them. You know, what we have here is mob rule and civil disobedience. It's not, excuse me, it's uncivil disobedience, I guess is what I would call it, but you know, here we have seen this all too prevalent. And, uh, you know, the reality of things are is that if all the people were to stand up and rebel against whatever the issue of the day, there is no police force, there is no army that can quell that type of uprising because that's what happened back in the 1700s when our colonists had enough of what was going on without representation. Well, they did, but they also organized. They organized. Exactly. They had committees of correspondence throughout the uh, colonies and, and such. And, and they, they had tried other methods to regress well, their grievances. They did. I mean, and, and this is an example of mob rule, and, and this is just not. Of course, your friend Trujillo would, would, would argue, and we would agree, that ultimately the war for independence was a basically outgrowth, a natural consequence of the lesser magistrate appealing to the greater. In that case, it was the crown of England. The crown wouldn't listen. Yeah. And so the crown had their head, the crown handed back to them by 1783. <laughs> well, you know, there's other things that, that go on with this, too. There's actually one Texas lawmaker, if he has a say in community, community relations, it would become a high school graduation requirement that ninth grade students learn how to properly interact with law enforcement. He wants to create a course in high school requiring all Texas ninth graders to complete this course. State Senate Criminal Justice Committee Chairman John Whitmire, Democrat from Houston, announced Thursday he plans to file a bill mandating that schools teach students how to behave when they get stopped by officers for traffic violations for or for any other reasons. The two-sided legislation hopes to minimize negative interactions by addressing both sides how they engage each other. By the way, I should mention this is from Breitbart, Texas, too. It is a good source of information for conservative people such as us. 
There is no home team or visiting team. We must all come together to develop the best strategies to improve relations and trust between law enforcement and the communities they serve, said Whitmire in the press release. Increased training and education for both peace officers and our students will help foster positive relations and interactions. Well, let me tell you what I think about this. You know, some things are just kind of uh, no-brainers, as I'm going to call them. And when it comes to dealing with the police, there's only thing one word you need to remember, comply. You know, uh, even if the police officer is wrong, there's a time for addressing that. But while he is uh, in a position of authority over you, for whatever the reason is, compliance is your only option. And to have a uh, Democratic uh, legislator suggest that we need a new law or we need more training, I mean, we have given so much uh, racial sensitivity training to our police officers that, you know, they're falling asleep in class. Oh, yeah, and I remember the early 90s, <clears throat> racial sensitivity, it wasn't racial, it was uh, homosexual sensitivity training mm-hmm. was introduced to, H- to HPD, mm-hmm. the Police Department. And I'll say this about police <clears throat> interactions. There's been a whole sea change over the last, uh, last 20 years or less on the relationship between the people in the community, any community, and the local police forces. Uh, there's more than one factor. Of course, the decline of public morality is one thing. Right. Which also has to play out in the selection of those who are serving as our, as our police. But also, there's this attitude that I think been foistered or fostered by the federal government since 9-11, where it's them versus us. Mm-hmm. This has been observed by the left and the right. It's not the same friendly police chief you had before, mm-hmm. necessarily, in the old days. They were, you know, uh, born and bred Jack Webb and all that type of thing. Right, right. Well, um, it, And that's another reason, though, why we, if that's the case, we ought to be able to get back control of local police because if federal dollars and training is, is fostering this them versus us attitude, if you nationalize the police, it'll be very much more difficult to change anything. Because the bottom line for the local policeman, therefore, is their check is coming from D.C. and not from Houston or Austin or whatever. So, uh, Ken, you're saying you think that there is a active movement to nationalize police? Yes, sir. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's well, more than one level, too, the street level and also in the halls of uh, the executive branch of government. Um, you know, one of the... One of the things I get concerned about, obviously, uh, I like I mentioned earlier, I'm a precinct chair in the Republican Party, uh, and, and the reason I am is because I feel one of the best ways, best tactics, back to that again about tactics, one of the best tactics we could use to uh, help our nation is to get the Republican bar- Party back to its conservative roots, because I think they've strayed. You know, when you talk about this ridiculousness about, you know, training, et cetera, and that happened to be a uh, Democratic, uh, you know, Texas senator that was proposing that, but I've seen just as much foolishness coming from Republicans as well. well. One thing I want to question, not to be adversarial, but when or what period of history are we talking about where the con- are you talking about when the Republicans were true to their roots and they had conservative roots? Did they have conservative roots? Well, uh, I guess what I was saying there is that... Are we talking about Goldwater? Are we talking about Taft? What are we talking about here? 
Well, I would start with Goldwater would be a, a good one, a good example. And I think Ron and Ronald Reagan had uh, conservative mm-hmm. uh, ideals that were put into practice and uh, made a significant, had a significant effect on especially our economy. And uh, so those are the type of principles I'm talking about. Of course, we can go back to the early days of our country and everything was conservative. You know, I don't care which party you were from. Uh, compared with what we have today. Chris, the Ripon, uh, uh, with the Ripon, Michigan, I've been getting the wrong state, I bet, is where the Republican Party originated in, in Ripon, Illinois. And, of uh, course, that's the, uh, the, in the 1960s, 70s, you had the Ripon Society, and they were concerned that the Republican Party was going to a conservative. But now, historically you, speaking... You said 1960s, I think, 1860s? Well, 1960s, where you had the Ripon Society. Okay. The our founding meeting of the Republican Party was in the 1850s. Right. Uh, if you would, Ripon. I don't know. Tell me about Ripon. I, well, basically, at all. Out, out of that, you had your progressives, and the Republican Party was a progressive party, basically, throughout the 19th century from its origin. There was your radical Republicans and the Reconstruction Congress and so on. Uh, you had people like William Borah of Idaho who was on, who was greeted very cheerfully by the uh, new communist regime at that time, was new, in Moscow. He was a sympathizer mm-hmm. and all that type of thing. So you had to come a long ways. But you started seeing some changes where people started saying, hey, let's talk about non-intervention like uh, Taft did and less government and so forth. And uh, so today, the Republican Party, at its grassroots, is non-progressive. That's it's, true. Uh, it's pro-constitutional, but it's still being misled by the establishment. Being misled by the establishment, uh, what do you mean by that? Okay, like TPP, Trans-Pacific oh. Partnership, Constitutional Convention, uh, a whole number of other things, a lot of panaceas. Didn't want to get rid of abortion. Let's just have a perfect abortion amendment, and abortion amendment that nobody it was never going to get enough states to ratify, and so yeah. forth. Let's don't do anything. Let's pretend to be doing something. No, I understand exactly what you're saying. When you when you put that label on there, you're talking about establishment Republicans, and I guess keep in mind, Mike, when I, you and I both were small, mm-hmm. there was Jacob Javits, and he was a, Repub- a liberal Republican, exactly in New York. Yeah, and what difference what difference would he have today with? Uh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah. No, I, I I totally understand that. But Nelson I, Rockefeller, people like that. I did want to make the distinction about when you talk about establishment Republicans, uh, is that the Republican Party? Well, it's with beauty in the eye of the beholder, and of course the Republican Party is the grassroots. But the leaders still have the grassroots by their ear. I, that that, 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 that's hard to argue, but at the same time, how, how do you address an issue like that? And again, that, that's where I want to go back to the powers in the grassroots. I like okay, what you we, said. We there. need to inform the grassroots, inform the electorate, so then they won't be uh, so accepting. Every time some leader out of the nowhere has popped up in the media, the sort of conservative media, neocon media, says, this is your leader. Yep. Says who? Yep. Where he come from? Yep. Who appointed him? Uh, they got to, the naivete has got to go away with some hard-nosed reckoning on principles and personalities. Yeah. Or otherwise, it's the moves blue and made a green cheese every two years, four years. 
Well, you know, one of the things that we've seen, too, is that we've seen a move away from our Republican form of government to a more Democratic form of government. And that what I'm talking about there is even how we do our nominations, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, that is an issue where you can have politicians since they're appealing directly to the hearts of individual voters. That's one of the things that's a democratic process that just tramples on the minority. And well, exactly. That's the difference between a Republican and democracy. Exactly. And I would encourage our listeners to go to our website and go to YouTube and uh, uh, click on an overview of America by John McManus. That's a real mm-hmm. basic uh, video documentary on the foundations of our nation. Yeah. One of the things we cover is what's a republic wants a democracy. And that certainly plays out in the primary uh, process. You know, originally the founding fathers did not want the American people voting on the U.S. senators. That's supposed to be done by the legislature. And the electors were supposed to be the wisest people in the community. They were going to vote for the president. That's exactly right. And so we kind of got into a hybrid situation as time went on, even into the earlier part of the uh, 20th century. You had a lot of places where the governor was selected by uh, the party convention rather than mm-hmm. by uh, uh, primary. And now there was some early, early, early in the 20th century, some presidents. There was one guy didn't know he was nominated for two weeks. <laughs> really? <laughs> but, but those guys turned out to be pretty conservative presidents. Exactly. You know, and I, I think that's part of the problem today is that uh, we, we see people wanting to, you know, take the reins directly. And, you know, when you look at the, the number of people that vote and even the turnout that we have, even election years, you know, it's dismal. It, it is. You know what, though, I won't be contrarian because, again, I think you have to agree to be on this program. You've got to offend somebody. Sure. You offend as many people as you can. One of the, on the, on the, that's one of the things that's amazing about this program. But I'll simply say that if everybody voted, there wouldn't be any point being here today. Wouldn't be any point being here today. Because people are so disengaged. Yeah, they got to vote. So where would they go for their information? Where would they go for their information? Well, to help them make a decision on how to vote. Well, where do they go now? Well, when they go, it's the drive-by media. Yeah, that that's one place. But, you know, that's not what activists such as us talk about. You know, I talked before about establishing relationships. And uh, I want people to start realizing the power that they have through influence and relationships. And I think that's what becomes important. And if all someone is going to expose themselves to is the drive-by media, uh, then that 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 that's unfortunate. And un- unfortunately, that's where we're at. I, I'm not no. disagreeing with you at all, Ken. So really, it is better off as people that care enough to vote are the ones that you want to talk to, because there was no amount of money in the world, including Trump's, that could reach every citizen in this nation that would be a quote eligible to vote. And, of course, as you know, the eligibility thing has been stretched deluxe. We've had illegals that are voting and never have become legal and all that type of thing. But that's the beauty of the grassroots system if we were able to get that energized. And that's the problem. You know, we we, grassroots is every person walking outside there, but they aren't energized. They aren't engaged. The best thing for the fix the primary system is caucuses. Oh, I agree. That's it for the right now. That's not exactly what the founding fathers had in mind, but it's a big step in that direction. The you founding gotta... fathers warned against parties. Yep. Washington warned against political parties, warned about slavery, warned about uh, entangling alliances and so mm-hmm. forth. But partisanship is a bane of our country. 
But if we at least get it down to the big decisions being made by caucuses, back to the legislature picking the Senate, mm-hmm. and then the House of Representatives to the people, to the people that are closest to actually live in the district. No, you're exactly And I might add, say the Texas needs their bottom whipped for uh, doing away with residency requirements to be candidates in these different seats. Uh, that was about 10 years ago, and I've seen people come in on the particular Republican Party and buy seats. And when you say about doing away with residency requirements, uh, give me an example of what you're referring You've to. You've got to live in the district two years, four years, or whatever. Oh, I, I see. You can't just move there right before the filing period. Shoot, so those guys didn't move there. They moved no, later. No, they, they, they move once they found out that someone's retiring. They move into jurisdiction run. I've seen that happen numerous times. Um, yeah. Uh, or, no, I've seen it where said, well, I'll move there if I get it. Really? So what do you think about term limits? Term limits, you know, let me put it this way. I can see the frustration that supports term limits. But it, it, and you look at the shape of Congress today versus the way it was under LBJ and Sam Rayburn and people like that, Mendel Rivers, and et cetera. Uh, it's more of a problem. Excuse me, a solution is in search of a past problem. I don't think the seniority is the big problem, really. You don't think seniority is a big problem? No. You don't think I say, well, I say it was in the 50s because our parents well, came home from World War II and got busy having families and starting off life, and they put it in drive and allowed people like the late Congressman Jack Brooks to get in there and become entrenched, and others that took political uh, almost revolutions to uh, get them out of office. But you've had a lot better turnover. Yeah, one district here in Texas has turned over about five or six times since the early part of this century. Mm-hmm. Is that a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Okay, no. all right. But I'm pointing but, out is it's not seniority is not the real big problem. You know, we don't have, where are your gym rights? I don't see any gym rights up there. Who's your uh, your uh, federal representative? My federal representative is Mike McCall. Who's yours? And mine is Michael McCall. Yeah, I know. We we were at uh, one of his meetings one time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um, think about it. So uh, and he was buying everybody lunch that day. Yeah, yeah, he was. <laughs> and uh we got Michael McCall also in, in, in this area too. We got John Culberson. Yes, and, do. You know, I, I want to talk about John Culberson one time. There is one that I look at him and and I, I can't say that I know him real well, but I've been to his town halls. I, I admire him for holding town halls because they've been fairly mm-hmm. hostile. Almost, I, I, it was the word I would use. But here's a person that I believe was was once. Uh, I, I believe he he really wanted to serve the people, and, and now I think he's oblivious to what that means. And that's my own evaluation. And I'm going to say the same about Michael McCall as well. You know, he'll come down here and he'll talk about whatever homeland security topic of the day is, you know, in order to show, you know, hey, look at me. But as far as being responsive to the people, I haven't seen it. One of the things I've had trouble with, and I haven't been as sensitive uh, from get-go as I am now, but conservatives really need to pay attention to civil liberties. They do. And Mike McCall has certainly never paid attention no, he to civil liberties. Not. We've got to have security, but you've got to have our Bill of Rights as well. And they just had to cancel that out. And 9-11 has been the uh, raison d'etre, if you will, to do that. Well, you know, uh, that has to do, I, I think, with the populace, too. They see things happening, and they're so willing to trade civil liberties for safety, or what they perceive as safety. 
And what it's Who's going to protect them from those that are protecting them? Exactly. <laughs> and and that that's the thing that we have to watch. And, you know, I, I don't actually like to, you know, I, I really do like to highlight the positive in people, too. And, uh, you know, I honestly think that Michael McCall is doing what he thinks is best for our country. I really do. I don't think that he's out there uh, with some kind of a ulterior motive or anything like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we need to be able to have a discussion about these things. And uh, one thing know, that might help too is that we, we've had all these gerrymandered districts, and that goes back to state legislatures. Yes, to gerrymander everything, or uh, almost every district. Well, we need more competitive districts so we can have real discussions about issues. Well, we could talk about the Voting Rights Act and the impact that's had on gerrymandering because I think that's one of the things that has has been. Uh, well, allowing our state representatives to continue doing this. No, you really. And of course, the Voting Rights Act uh, is basically, it was really conceived as, uh, by Nixon, and I think correctly, it's unconstitutional because it basically treated some states differently than others. Oh, exactly. The 15th Amendment allows the central government, and one could argue that's a bad, that was a bad idea, but it's the 15th Amendment to make laws concerning the voter rights. Mm-hmm. But that's. For all 50 states, yeah, not just for the old Confederacy. Hello. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And uh, I'll tell you what, the, the, these are some of the issues, I think, that I really like having discussions about. And uh, um, when, when you have your meetings and you have your speakers there, do you have any dialogue going back and forth? And uh, it's and time allowed. We've got lunches yeah. and all that. So we'd like to have 10 minutes of Q&A. Yeah. See, our meeting is... <clears throat> We have our, our local business first, so we had our BMP luncheons, and then we have uh, the, um, the speaker, mm-hmm. and then we try to have 10 minutes of Q&A. If yep. not, he gets to talk to people at the book table or whatever. He may have his own book table. You yeah. something. Yeah. And typically, that's how it works so far. Well, you know, one thing I, I, I wanted to mention, or I would be remiss if I didn't mention, is that uh, the Cypress, Texas Tea Party, we meet every three weeks, and we actually have a meeting coming up this Saturday. And we meet from uh, noon to 2 o'clock over at Spring Creek Barbecue over at uh, uh, Highway 290 in Spring Cypress. And uh, this Saturday we have two uh, judicial candidates that are going to be speaking there. We have uh, Judge Renee McGee. Uh, from the 337th District Court, and and uh, Judge Deborah Ibera Mayfield from the 165th District Court. They are both current sitting incumbents. But I'll tell you what, this election cycle coming around, uh, being able to, you know how long the ballot is down here in in Texas. The fact that we are have the ability, the privilege, if you will, of us being able to vote for uh, our own representatives. It becomes very important that we do everything that we can to get good conservative people, I'll just put the word that way, to vote all the way down the ballot. So I'll tell you what, we're coming up on a break here. And so when we come back out of this break, uh, I'd like to talk some more with Ken Hoover, uh, my guest here, and he's the field coordinator with the John Birch Society. And we're going to continue this discussion a little bit more about what the uh, grassroots activists can do to effectively change the government. Let me go to PS. Our website's www.jbs.org. JBS.org. There you go. That's about as And the other one is thenewamerican.com. Sounds great. All right, well, we'll be right back after the break. 
Doc Green Show is on the air. are great mediums for mass instruction, but for those times when you just want to hold something in your hands, there is the damn good times. I still love the newspaper, but I'm tired of the liberal bias. That's why I reach for the damn good times. Always full of interesting stories and great information, and you can have it delivered to your doorstep by calling 281-332-5710 or sending an email to news at thedamngoodtimes.com. Just $50 a year will get a full subscription. It's a great gift for all the patriots you know. Do it now. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Maintaining your home air conditioner is just as important as maintenance on your car. You don't know the big difference there's going to be until you've had the work done. I thought my system was working fine, but now it's better than ever. Galen Beatty did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Good servicing will not only keep your system performing well during the sweltering summers here in Houston, but it will save you money year after year. In my case, it cut my AC power consumption by 20%. Do what I did. Have Galen Beatty set up regular AC maintenance to cut your energy bill and prevent system failure at the worst time. And what's better than being comfortable and saving money? Whether you need a basic tune-up or it's time to put in a new super-efficient system, you should call BDAC, 281-222-9591. That's 281-222-9591 to schedule an AC system tune-up. BDAC and Heat. That's B-E-E-D-E-A-C and Heat.com. BDAC and Heat.com. Hello again, everyone, and uh, as I said before, no, the doctor's not in today. Uh, this is Dave Wilson. I'm the director of the Cypress, Texas Tea Party, sitting in for Doc Green today. He will be back tomorrow. 
Uh, got with me, uh, my guest here is uh, Ken Hoover. He's the field coordinator with the John Birch Society. And we've been talking about various things, but one of the things that I mentioned uh, uh, to uh, Ken during the break is uh, I saw an article about how uh, over in Spain that uh, many of the Spaniards are exhausted by politics and they warm to a life without a government. And this came from the New York Times. And it says here that for the past uh, 288 days, Spain has been plodding along without an elected national government. So for some Spaniards, this is a wonderful thing. No government, no thieves, says Felix Pastor, a language teacher who, like many voters, is fed up with the corruption and the scandals that have tarnished the two previous governing parties. And uh, Mr. Pastor, he's an animated 59-year-old, uh, said Spain could last without a government until hell freezes over because politicians are in no position to do more harm. After getting... After two grueling national elections in six months, and with a third vote possible in December, no party has won enough seats or forged the coalition needed to form a government. For the first time in Spain's four decades, as a modern democracy, the country of 47 million people has a caretaker government. This has produced an unprecedented public spectacle. We got politician schemes and plot, but they reject the difficult compromises needed to form a government. Voters watch ruefully with a mix of fascination and contempt. On Saturday, the socialist leader, Pedro Sanchez, stepped down in a move that could open up the way for his party to agree to the re-election of Prime Minister Mariano Rajoy with a government led by his conservative popular party. But while the Spaniards' revolt could break the deadlock, it may do little to heal Spaniard, uh, the Spaniards' frustration with a crisis that has further eroded their faith in politicians. Uh, Spain's leaders warned that having no government would mean chaos and deprivation. Have you ever heard that before? You know, when you talk about a government shut down the United States, kind of a popular thing. Instead, more than anything, the crisis seems to have offered a glimpse of life if politicians simply stepped out of the way. For many here, that's it's not been all that bad. Spain would be just fine if we got rid of most of the politicians and three quarters of the government employees, said uh, this Spaniard inside his tiny storefront market in Madrid. Too little government is better than too much, he said. Well, I can't help but uh, agree with that as well. Ken, your thoughts on that whole thing? Well, of course, they have a caretaker government. They got a bureaucracy. Right. They have local governments or provincial governments, uh, so they still have a government. Yes. Uh, they're not able to move forward. And, of course, that reminds me of the, one of the government shutdowns, I think, where we had the standoff in 99, and the economy, you're boomed. Yes, When the exactly. Congress was not able to, to come up with anything. Well, you know, there's a reason, I think, that uh, Texas had the wisdom to have their uh, legislative session only once every two years for 140 days. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it served us quite well, I might add. So, uh, you know, it, it's not all gloom and doom that you hear out there as far as, uh, you know, when when you're faced with these budget crises and just like they passed a, a recently another budget extension bill, I don't know if they, they didn't call it an omnibus this time, but one of the things that frustrated me is that extended them into December. You know what happens in December. That That's the lame duck session. That's right. What do you think constructive is going to happen during that? Well, yeah, we've been at it all along said no to lame duck sessions. Exactly. And no TPP, 
Transatlantic Partnership being considered by the Congress in the lame duck session. Mm-hmm. And because you mentioned uh, Culberson a while ago, others that were the big problem, guys like him who voted to invest the Obama administration and su- succeeding administrations with Trade Promotion Authority, or TPA, Yeah, which is totally unconstitutional. Totally unconstitutional. You're exactly right. Don't worry about Spain, because Spain's, a, like the rest of the EU nations, a parliamentary democracy. And so there's a built-in instability in that form of government. Exactly. Which occasionally leads to situation they're in today. On the other hand, somebody in one of their branches of government just about a week or so ago was threatening Gibraltar mm-hmm. because they say, okay, you go ahead with Brexit, briefly, EU, right. we're going to make a grab for Gibraltar. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they restrain government as much as they ought to if somebody's talking war yeah. uh, in Spain and, and such. So you got to be careful there. And of course, Spanish government, at least for the last several years, has been very pro uh Regionalism and very anti-national sovereignty. Right. You'll see them as the Spanish uh, appointees that populate these various UN agencies and EU uh, divisions and and NATO and so all that sort of thing. It's, so, Ken, uh, what's, what's the lesson for us here in the United States? Save you know, our republic and enforce the constitutional restrictions on it. Exactly. But yeah, yeah, that that's that's what we've been talking about, and uh, you know, I'm I'm glad you put it succinctly like that, and. Uh, uh, you know, th- those are some things that we have to accomplish. And, uh, you know, going back to the, uh, you know, interposition and the, uh, uh, what goes with interposition? Nullification. Nullification, thank you. I don't know why that word escaped me. I guess it's my older age. But, uh, you know, uh, when, you, when you talk about having to effect change, you know, we need someone willing to hold the banner. Now, we had mentioned about Ken Paxton, you know, he, he has a, a litigious sort of way to, to do that. Uh, you know, do you think we could count on him to, to help in that area? No, because, well, again, it's just competing worldviews. His worldview, like most attorneys, the product of law school, is that we have a national top-down government, if we didn't at first, we have since 1865, so it's all been settled. We had a, for example, uh, has Tom Glass ever been on this program? I'm I don't know. Texas Libertarian Party, but he was in the uh, uh, visiting a state representative who remained unnamed in West Houston last year, and the guy told him, well, all that was settled in 1865. Hey, do it. Not so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike does not make right. Right. Doesn't make legal either. No, no, it doesn't, unfortunately. I, so, unfortunately. <laughs> really? So uh, we got that up against his two competing worlds. So if government gets too big for the taste of Mr. Paxton, he's going to resort to Article 5 and also filing these pieces of paper uh, to try to stop things. Again, some of it has been successful because, let's face it, you throw enough stuff on the, on the wall, some, some of it's going to stick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we need something more substantial than that. Uh, and such. Again, a lot of the amendments, this Texas plan that the Governor Abbott's offered, a lot of this stuff, they, the states could do anyway. Mm-hmm. The federal government can do it anyway. So, uh, in a way, the saying that they imply they couldn't before, and they really uh, restrict by virtue of uh, putting in some other mechanisms uh, the ability of states full to exercise their full-bodied or robust exercise of their Authority as states under the Tenth Amendment. There, you know, Tenth Amendment. Well, I tell you, give me anything, anything with the Tenth Amendment. That's exactly. the problem with the neocons. Right. And they'll come back and say, "What's well, associated with segregation? Whatever." Tenth Amendment. Yeah. No occasion are tools. 
the tools in the toolbox. You know, I, I in fact the uh, the restriction of appellate jurisdiction was used by the radical Republicans to keep the laws in the uh, occupied states mm-hmm. after the war between the states from being reviewed by the Supreme Court. Would you agree that part of the problem with, uh, uh, I, I guess, exercising nullification comes with the fact that uh, there are so many strings attached with uh, some of these liberties that uh, the federal government has taken? Well, they also raise the example, issue. For they can stop uh, you know, funding certain programs if, if uh, you know, Texas were to stand up and... and uh, uh, We're going to do it sooner or later. But that also raises the issue of the practicality of succession at this point. That's right. At some point it may be necessary, but let's don't kid ourselves. We're not if we do go that route, there's not going to be a libertarian utopia here. No, no. That's- somebody's going to have to pay for defending the place, maintaining and growing the highways. Uh, what's going to be done about Social Security and Medicare? Uh, not to mention Obamacare, and then there's the military bases. Well, oh, lots of issues. Do you, that has to be worked out between a newly uh, resovereign Texas and the central government. So, do you say that in a positive light or a negative light? A civilian is a factual light. <laughs> that those are things that have to be considered oh, when going well, down that path. Oh, but you see, when when I look at that, and and I'm I'm going to have to tell you with regards to the Texas nationalist movement, I started out uh, very negative towards that idea. And uh, my my thoughts recently have changed to such that uh, when I think about affecting change and uh, what is the most effective way to do that, I have not ruled that out anymore. And it's just like uh, my position with regards to convention of the states has changed. I was started off and I, I was very much for that. And, and I thought that, you know, that's what we need to do is have a convention, put further restrictions on our federal government. And in fact, you know, we have the restrictions that we need now. Yeah, we do. If we could just get back to those. And so I, I've, I've totally swung the other way. And I'll point out that our, if somebody were to ask me, what is the John Birch Society's agenda for the 85th legislature? Yeah. In regards to the CONCON, COS, and all that stuff, is number mm-hmm. one, rescind all the existing applications. Some of them have long whiskers, if you will, look like they're members of the Duck Dynasty in gray, too. Some of those applications are quite old. And then uh, there's, again, this balanced budget amendment application from 1978, which is still considered uh, with enough contemporaneity to be recognized. And they're at now at a point of 30, about 28 states that uh, have call have existing applications. By the right. way, you even got up to as high as 32, and we got it down to the low 20s. And they've been fighting back and mm-hmm. so forth. But we're going to work on rescinding all of them. Number one. Number two, and blocking the COS thing. And regardless of this dog and pony thing that's like in the Texas platform, we want to get rid of all the calls where they want the COS. It's different. No, it's not different. No, Give me a thing. break. Yeah, it's the same thing. Say, golly, it's just that's salesmanship. The Constitution is too important to treat with just mere salesmanship. Well, you know, I honestly think you know you, you have to you would agree too that the uh, the founders of our constitution put the convention of the state option in there for a reason, didn't they? Yes, I think the primary reason though is that when they did that, there was no bill of rights. That's true. And they wanted to make sure that that was uh, available. But then, of course, the Congress came up with uh, all bill this of rights. other stuff, and we got a bill of rights and so forth. 
Had it stopped there, we would have been better off. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> because if you had Bill rights, then you had these cause amendments. Exactly. That have, uh, have come along, and they all grow government. They all but grow government one way or the other. Couldn't that also have been the reason that uh, for the Convention of States option? Because of the fact that the our federal government might get out of control, and so you know, I, well, the, I pro- the problem that. is with that, and I can understand that, and it's certainly constitutional. When I look around to what, who's qualified to go and rewrite the Constitution? Who do you know that's qualified to rewrite the Constitution? Recently, there was this play act deal called the Mock Convention held in Williamsburg, Virginia, yes. which a bunch of self-appointed state representatives, including some former ones in various states assembled and went through the motions and everything was so nicely choreographed, but there was no left there. That's not real life. Exactly. Yeah. You and, know, and, and it's really funny because Mark Meckler, who has been the, uh, the chairman of the Republican party of Texas. No, no. Mark Meckler of the oh, self-governance. Oh, I was thinking that. Tom Meckler. I'm no, they sorry. spell it differently. They yeah. spell it differently. So, uh, Mark, uh, Two-sided person who runs the uh, COS uh, said, of course, the only thing that was said this to Glenn Beck, the only thing that was not realistic was the left wasn't there, and they realized they didn't have to uh, deal with them. But because of our rules that we wrote, you know, they're not going to be able to get anywhere. Well, two problems with that. Number one, and this good book that the reprint is our listeners can order from our headquarters, working together to rewrite the Constitution. Lawrence Lessig, Professor Lawrence Lessig, and Mark Meckler mm-hmm. of the COS sought left-wing support to get sufficient numbers to get the COS going. And he said, oh, they haven't engaged. But he warned them there. Mm-hmm. They said, but it'll be okay because we can, uh, we're, we're writing these, these, these rules, but in the necessary pr- uh, proper clause of the Constitution, basically, is what the Congress would rely on for the authority to write the rules in the first place. The legislature is not going to write the rules. Congress is. The only thing that the convention is going to do is decide on the content when they're there. And they're not limited, regardless of what the balanced budget amount people tell you, they're not limited to a balanced budget amount. They may decide at that point to stay with that, but there's no guarantee. You had made mention earlier that the uh, John Birch Society is uh, uh, actively looking to to see if a stop can be put to this. Here in the state of Texas, is there? Uh, do you have any uh, legislators on board with uh, that are going to be supporting legislation can't, can't to take us that direction? We, uh, Ms. Harless, who was on here not long ago, and others are working actively to enlist them. We've got some kind of promises, but nothing we want to put out yeah. uh, over the air yet. Okay. All right. And uh, we we have time. Uh, January first is the first day that anything can be submitted, from what I understand. Maybe it's the second. I'm not yeah, sure. It's holidays. Yeah, yeah. So you know how that works. So okay. Uh, well, that's interesting. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, so that was one of your legislative priorities. Uh, what were some of the others that you had made mention that that was like an hour and a half ago? I think that we talked about. Well, let's say where is the Legislatures of the of the land is again rescinding existing applications for a constitutional convention. Right. A lot of those applications could be hijacked by an activist court to put them together. There are those who argue that uh, we've got we ought to have a convention because of all these calls. Well, I might add, if that argument were valid, because there were so many in the 19th century, there was, should have been a convention no later than 1911. Okay, so that's you know, an unknown thing there. Also, uh, going back to writing the rules, again, the Congress will do it. 
And regardless, and again, my proof on that is when we got real close to calling a constitutional convention for a balanced budget in the early 80s, mm-hmm. there were 40 different pieces of legislation that were introduced over a period of time to manage that convention as far as delegate selection. And my dad, the far left, is going to come in hard on that. Because guess what, sports fans? The original attendees in the 1787 convention were all white. They all were landowners. Yeah. <clears throat> they were overwhelming. They were all male. Yep. Yeah. And overwhelmingly Protestant. And that uh, doesn't sound very politically correct today. No. And so I could see quotas being, uh, at least there, there would be a call for quotas and, and, and such. And again, it's not defined in the legislature's claim they have the authority. Some do, but they don't, really. Right. If Congress is to truly call a convention to do their duties under the necessary and proper clause, if that means anything, they're going to do everything that they're, they think they're supposed to do. As recognized, it could be the location, it could be the duration of the convention, delegate selection, and qualifications, and all that type of thing. Number of delegates. Well, Ken, you know, we've been talking about this for some time. Lots of unknowns there. And some people would look at this as as a bit of a negative conversation, and it might be true there. But let me ask you this. If uh, activists were to come to you today and say, you know, Ken, I'm... I'm frustrated with what's going on in our government. Uh, What words of encouragement would you give them? Well, I would say that basically that if you look at the U.S. House of Representatives, where really the salvation of the republic runs, uh, you've got a lot of uh, good upstart uh, leadership, Justin Amish, for example, and and guys like that, Thomas Massey, and so on. There is a newer crop of constitutionalists out there that are not uh, doing business as usual. And there's some indication of that in the U.S. Senate. Uh, things didn't stop with Ron Paul leaving the House of Representatives. Right. That was just a starting point. And there's a lot more informed people. There's a lot more people that are using the Internet to find out what's going on. And I might add, let me encourage your listeners to, instead of jumping right off the uh, bridge into a COS or Commission of the States, why not try getting to know your congressman? Why not try getting to know your state state senator? Twice a year, we rate the Congress as to their constitutionality on the same issues. It's part of the uh, New American magazine. It's called the Freedom Index. I see. And we make uh, copies of that available. We also have a more extensive version of it online where you can go back as late as far back as 1998, the Clinton years. And if your your candidate or your uh, representative was in office then, We'll get to see how he was doing then, on through the present. Okay, so your next one will be after this legislative session, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there'll be one. We've got... Um, <clears throat> got one in July. we got another one coming up in December. Okay. So the, your last one was in July, so it's not like you wait till the end of the session. You, you do this throughout the session? Twice. Uh, twice. Twice. I thought you said every two years. Two, every, two, every six. Twice a year. Twice a I year. Probably I probably said every two years. I'm wrong. Okay, every six months. Twice right, a year. Now, now I understand. All right. And, uh, you know, those guides are really helpful. And, and I want to tell listeners out there is that, uh, you know, you need to consider the source. Think about where your information is coming from. You know, honestly, I go over every once in a while, and I listen to MSNBC. I think it's good to see what the enemy is doing from time to time. You have to realize the type of things they're saying, especially if those are the type of people that you want to go out and influence. Uh, 
You have to have an idea about where well, they The NBC, NBC crowd is boy frantic over their opposition to Trump. I mean, they're they are they are foaming in the mouth. I uh, I'm going to have to mention this, but uh, my my son had a, a roommate and and uh, his wife uh, that they got married after they graduated and both really sharp people. But man, uh, she is now a they moved to Colorado. She's a, a flaming liberal. Went out and campaigned actively for Bernie Sanders, <laughs> and of course, uh, once Hillary got the nomination. Uh, it was kind of interesting. I tried to enter into a debate with her with regards to each of our candidates, and neither of us were greatly fond of, I must say. I was a, a Ted Cruz supporter myself, so we kind of were in similar positions. But the the hate that she had for Donald Trump, I could, I, I, I just couldn't fathom it. Here's a, a good lady that is trying to do the best, and yet to hear... You know, she even used the word hate. I'm not just applying that to her. She said, you know, I hate him and this, that, and the other. And then she accused me of hating Hillary Clinton. I don't hate Hillary Clinton. I don't like her. I don't think she'd be a good president and everything else, but I don't hate anybody. But it's kind of interesting how the liberals will kind of project their own feelings on someone else. So, And I see that continually on uh, MSNBC as I'm watching oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's one of those things, too, that... Uh, I always watch for. It seems like uh, when you're you're in a discussion or a debate with someone with regards to some issues, watch for that point in time where uh, the conversation changes from uh, being focused on the issues to it starts taking a personal turn. They'll start talking about, well, you you know you don't know about this that, and the other. You start take a personal turn. That that's when. If you recognize that, you've got them because you can identify the fact and, and point out to them, hey, let's get back to talking about the issues. Why are you bringing personalities into this? But uh, one of the familiar topics that I, I think are important for people to realize. But uh, one of the things that we do at our Cypress, Texas Tea Party meetings is we try to encourage dialogue. Well, I, I should say a conversation, you know, an interchange of ideas. I think it's important. Uh, one of the things I found from dealing with activists is that uh, we don't agree on every subject. You know, we've got Trump supporters. We've got Cruz supporters. We've got people from all over the place. And we've had uh, the uh, <clears throat> independence as well come in there. Uh, but at the same time, anytime you enter into a conversation, you can learn something. Even if you're talking with a liberal, honestly, I think you can learn something about where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. You know, because the majority of liberals are not just totally crazy and, and they don't get it. They come from a different worldview, and I would behoove us to understand a little about that. If you, in tech, if you really want to uh, have an ability to uh, change some minds and influence people. I found that as being effective. Any, any comment about that, Ken Hoover? Well, um, no, not really. You're you're right on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Ken, because we're in the business of being activists and being able to influence people is, is something that uh, every time I come on Doc's show that I talk about, and people are probably tired of hearing that, but uh, I'm not on here all that often, but... Uh, so now they get to hear it again. But uh, I, I want to, you know, end this show on a positive note. You know, we are still, even with all of our problems, we're the greatest nation out there in the world today. And uh, we, we have a republic as long as we can keep it. And I think that's in jeopardy. And so 
if anything, I want to encourage people to become engaged and become involved and uh, recognize that uh, you, you can have a uh, positive influence in, in the change that's happening in our nation. I mean, we're part of it. Uh, Ken, uh, you, you talk about the grassroots. I'm glad to hear you were actually the first one to mention the grassroots, not me. But that is where the real power is still with the people. Even though people have, uh, of our government have trampled on our Constitution, the power still remains with the people. And uh, that, that's the encouraging thing that I'd like to leave people with today. And, uh, <clears throat> we want to change the Constitution. Let's start repealing about the repeal of the income tax. Yeah, and repeal of the direct election of senators. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know we can think of a couple other things. We'll leave that some other time. Yep. But those two things are some of the big pillars of socialism. And of course, the Federal Reserve didn't come by amendment, but that needs to be dealt with. No, I think you're right, Ken. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's uh, I've really enjoyed talking with you, uh, Ken. I'll tell you what. Uh, I am so pleased to know yourself and uh, other patriots that I've met out there that are standing for what is right, speaking their mind. And, uh, you know, it's a thankless job, honestly. Uh, uh, you know, but it's one of those things that, you know, when you truly have a passion in your heart, you got to find a way to harness that passion. I've seen that in you, Ken. You know, we, you. we, we, we don't get off and... And, and and get abrasive or disruptive, and I like the way that you deal with yourself, and I'm sure that the rest of your members are the same way. Well, I'd like to thank that. I sure appreciate your time today. Gosh, 90 minutes, you know, minus breaks, and so that's a uh, two hours. That's a lot of time. That is a lot. And, you know, we could have talked another two hours easily. So many, so many subjects. But check us out, www.jbs.org. And those of you who have joined us later, uh, again, our, our business and professional luncheons here in in Houston, the third Thursday every month, uh, except for December and July. The Christie Seafood on Westheimer. Our speaker, which is October, Thursday, October 20th at noon, will be uh, Neil Frank, the climate change hoax. Call me if you want to come, 281-373-1109. Thank you, Cypress. Thank you, Houston. Thank you, Texas. I appreciate it. We're off. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. 
Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called, and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. gentlemen, I'm Elodie Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Adisk, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events. And today is Monday, October 3rd, 2016. Good afternoon, Al. Hello, Melody. You know, I'm going to say, can you believe it's October <laughs> October 3rd? And you're going to say, well, can you believe it's 2016? Right? I mean, you must have listened to this program before. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be January 1st pretty soon, but uh, uh, we got a good, great three months yet to go of this year. And uh, did you know uh, it was today, October 3rd, 2008, that George W. Bush signed the $700 billion economic bailout bill into law? It was the uh, most expensive government intervention in, in our history, and it bailed out the nation's struggling financial system. That is yet to be decided if it actually bailed it out or just extended the their ability to continue fleecing the American people. But it did allow the uh, Henry Paulson to purchase the trouble assets, uh, hoping to spur more lending and so forth. So... 2008 on October 3rd. Gee, how the time flies when you're having fun. Gee, how how about that? Mm-hmm. And today there's a little pressure on gold today, down 390 on gold, 390 on gold today at $1,313. You have silver down 35 cents <clears throat> at $18.90. Platinum was hit big, down 21 at 1,009. Palladium was down 11 at 714. USDX today, I saw earlier, it was a little bit stronger, still is up 0.28 at 
at 95.70. Crude oil was also up today, 0.42 at 48.66. And the paper markets today, you had the Dow down 54 points, 18,253. NASDAQ down 11 at 5,300. S&P down 7 at 2,161. Uh, the 10-year yield, 1.62%. That was uh, up 0 0.01. Uh, European and Asia markets, I, I guess they were, you know, they're just happy. They're all up. I guess maybe sighing a, a little bit of relief uh, because the Deutsche Bank didn't go under and uh, the world is still functioning. Um, September 30th, uh, there was several predictions that, um, you know, this was the going to be the end, Al. And yeah, I know that. We keep getting these predictions. You know, it really cracks me up. It's like the planet Nibiru, all right, or planet X. That's been about to strike in about six months, nine months, a year at the most. <clears throat> I've been listening to that for I don't know how long it's been going on. But as soon as they come up to the time where they said it was going to strike and then it doesn't happen, they go silent for about 60, 90 days. <laughs> and then they start recycling the same story all over again for a year later. Actually, it's amazing. It's, it's the sort of thing, it's a tribute to human gullibility. Actually, I, I was I, I don't pay much attention to Kramer, Jim Jim Kramer on CNBC, but I, I just happened to turn him on turn him on on Friday. And he was talking about the same thing. He was actually referencing Deutsche Bank. And he says you have all these doomsayers out there. They're saying that you know the thirtieth was gonna be the end of the day. And he says people don't remember when they're wrong. Yeah. He says it, it's just you know, he says it's it's really kind of interesting how the people psyche or whatever you want to call it, um, they just have a tendency to forget uh, that all these predictions that you know so many people make that they're constantly wrong, not just once but time and time again. Yeah. And um, certainly, Deutsche Bank, it, they are a potential catalyst, you know, for. You know the the bursting of the of 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 the global you know financial systems. Um, I I just didn't think it would happen on Friday, and um, you know they. Well, I think had, if it's going to be orchestrated, they'll do it on Friday. I didn't think Give it was going to be this to Friday. I didn't think it was going to be uh, September thirtieth. I understand. Ah, you don't know when it's going to happen. It's one of those things. Well, you know, it's no. like it's I mean, like anything can... else. It always takes longer than you think it will take. Right, it's just kind of a rule. How long does it take to start a business? I don't care. Come up with a plan. We'll have it up and running in a year. No, you won't. You'll have it up and running in 18, 24 months. It always takes longer than you expect. It almost never goes faster than what you plan or expect. But the and, thing of it is there's usually things leading up to these certain situations. Uh, 2008, October 8th. Um, I mean, we Lehman Brothers. Everyone's comparing uh, Deutsche Bank to Lehman Brothers. The same same type of situation. But there was lead-ups. You you could see the things unfolding. You could see their shares drop in one day. What 77 percent? Well, yeah, that, that's a big problem. Uh, Friday, Deutsche Bank went up. Yes, they have 60 trillion dollars in derivatives. Yeah, that's going to be a major impact on the world markets. Um, but I didn't 
personally think it was going to be September 30th. Is it going to happen, you know, in the near, in the future? Yeah, I do believe it's going to happen in the future. Uh, but I don't think any one of us knows the date and the time that it will happen. And there will be more significant clues. To, to well, the point is that this is something like a fundamental, right? It's the 11th biggest bank in the world, at least it was. Um, it's in a lot of trouble. There's a high probability that it's going to, that they're going to have some sort of a calamity over there. High probability, Absolutely. not a guarantee. High probability. It's, <clears throat> it's big enough, it's significant enough where you can sit back and you can, you can consider it as something like an economic fundamental. When will it blow up? Nobody knows. But if you know it's going to blow up, it's like Mount Vesuvius. You understand? We can sit there and say, well, you know, I think it's it's pretty safe to live here, probably. But on the other hand, it is going to blow up one of these days and cover the whole part of Italy with with, uh, ash. Maybe it's just a good idea to get away from the base of the uh, volcano. And the problem is Deutsche Bank is not alone. I mean, we've got banks all over the world that are, you know, maybe not in as severe, but pretty close. I mean, this whole world is in a bubble of this monetary stimulus that they have been creating for years and years and years. And it is all going to come to a head, and it is all going to break. So there's a lot of things going on, and the best thing that you can do during these times stone, gold, and silver. Delinquency rates are rising on some of the riskiest auto loans. The delinquency rate on subprime auto loans rose in August. Uh, seems to be a trend uh, that's going to continue through the rest of 2016. Uh, and it has been trending upward throughout 2016. And it seems to be approaching peak levels that was seen, I guess, in late 2008 and early 2009. We talk about this all the time, about even in even homes where people can get in with, you know, zero down, uh, zero financing, uh, your FICO score of 600 or lower for auto loans. Uh, you got, you know, you know, 72 month uh, loans people are leasing because they can't afford the, the, the purchase payments and leasing is usually a, a little bit lower, but auto delinquencies have risen every month since February. Delinquency among prime auto loan borrows, borrowers also rose, uh, but they're still remaining at a, you know, if you consider it a manageable uh, 0.41% or, but it's still 17% higher than a year ago. Um, and it's the same stuff. These loans are packaged into bundles, which are then sold to investors the same way as the mortgages were packaged into bundles a decade ago. That can be used as collateral to make loans to the consumers. And even if you're only getting a small percentage return on each loan to the consumers, if you're lending under fractional reserve banking, if you can package all of these subprime notes together for automobiles, for example. And if you can sell it to a bank, it can use it as collateral. And it's a million-dollar face value for a collection of these notes. And the bank, in theory, can, can lend in the United States up to nine times the face value of the note to the public. Right? They may not lend that much, but they can lend multiples of the note. What that means is even though they may only be getting, say, 4% interest, on the loan to the public. They're lending nine loans based, based on $1 million. 
which means you get 4% on the first million and four another 4% on the second million, another four on the third and the fourth and the fifth. And if you want nine, you're talking about 36% return on the original $1 million investment, which means that you can, it means that these bonds, these subprime mortgages bundled together and the rest of it, they may not be worth anything to private investors or not much. But if you're a bank who can operate under fractional reserve banking, and if you can treat these these uh, bundles of notes, if you can treat them as an asset, then you can actually make money off of them, even though they're worthless, effectively, even though they're, they're technically worthless, uh, you can still make money off them. So it's part of the reason that the system continues to stand. The fractional reserve banking gives the bank, creates an incentive for banks to say, all right, let's buy some government bonds, all right? Even if I don't get, even if they don't get the principal back, take a U.S. bond for a million dollars. Even if the bank knows it won't get the principal, the million dollar principal, let's go on government, will never repay it. doesn't matter. They can use it as an asset in the bank vault. And they can lend out up to nine times. You put a million dollars down, lend nine million, collect 4% on each of the nine, each one million of the nine, you're making $360,000 off a $1 million investment per year. You do that first year, second year, third year, blah, blah, blah. This is a very lucrative business, and it certainly empowers the banks to an extraordinary degree. And it may also, it may also be critical to stimulating and artificially stimulating the economy. The banks are getting rich off the deal, but consumers are borrowing currency that doesn't really even exist. The banks are essentially spinning it out of thin air. Not the not the Federal Reserve Bank. The bank go down to your local go down to your local bank and say I'd like to borrow a hundred thousand dollars to uh, put an addition on my house. All right? They'll write you a check, but they will not give you one hundred thousand dollars cash. They don't have it. That check is essentially just spun out of thin air. And it's part of the way they hold the system together and even stimulate it and cause it to do to achieve unnatural highs. Right? We've been incredibly prosperous to, despite objective reality. It has a lot to do with this, this, this fractional reserve banking. But that appears to be breaking down, that the public is not willing to keep borrowing more money even at low, low, low interest rates. Well, they can't. If they won't because borrow got... more, we have a problem holding this whole racket together. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they can't because inflation, and, you know, whether you call it inflation or not, you got your health insurance, you know, ranges of increases on their premiums anywhere from, you know, 10% to 35%. You know, family of four, over $18,000 a year for health care. Are you kidding me? That's not including deductibles. Those are just premiums. So, yeah, they can't make their payments anymore. They can't go out and borrow. So, yeah, you know, welcome to la-la land here in the yeah. United States and everywhere else around the world. It, it really is amazing. But insofar as they've, they've moved our jobs and money of our jobs and much of our industry, how do we produce? Yeah. How do we produce to pay the bills? They're still relying the government, the whole system is set up to rely not on 
taxes per se. They can't really raise taxes significantly because if they do, it'll slow the economy. They need money. I mean, the, the Federal Reserve has said they can't stimulate the economy with monetary stimulus anymore. Monetary policy won't get it done. Meaning, by merely lowering the interest rate down to zero or even below zero, that's not having much of an effect. Trying to increase the supply of money, not having much of an effect. May have prevented a recession, may have prevented a depression, but it has not stimulated the economy where we've seen significant positive growth. They claim they can't do it anymore. They say it's now up to the government to use fiscal policy, fiscal stimulation to cause the economy to strengthen. And the fiscal means, stimulation means, you cut taxes or you, you cut taxes or you increase and or you increase government spending. Right? They can't, they're not likely to cut taxes because they're already in a financial bind. They can't raise them without making things worse. Taxes probably won't change significantly the deal as with the, for the purpose of causing economic stimulation. All right? Probably won't tinker much with taxes. It could go up a little, could go down a little, but they'll probably stay about where they are, which means the government, the only way it can stimulate with fiscal policy is by spending more. Now, where's the money going to come from to spend more? And if you can't raise taxes, if it's true they can't raise taxes, then there are only two ways to come up with a currency to spend more. And one of them is by borrowing, and the other one is by printing. The problem they've got with borrowing is private private creditors are basically leaving the government alone. Some of them are still involved, but for the most part, private, private creditors are leaving because they can't make anything at these low interest rates. They'll move their currency to a foreign country where they can get a higher rate of return and perhaps make a profit. Private creditors aren't going to lend. And the banker, the banks, they stand, they could still make money. They're the only ones that are in this, but the Federal Reserve has tried to back out. They've been the principal source of currency borrowed by the government for the past several years, Federal Reserve. They're trying to back out and say, no, we've had enough. We don't. Which brings us to the last possibility. They're going to try to borrow. I don't think they can raise taxes. They're going to try to borrow. How much longer? We're already $20 trillion in debt that they admit to, and perhaps a great deal more than that. They're not likely to be able to borrow enough to stimulate the economy. What's left? Printing. And what's really interesting about the idea of printing is that lost my train of thought. What's, 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 I looked at the little instant message there, and I lost my train of thought. Um, what's interesting about printing is if the Federal Reserve doesn't want to issue any more Federal Reserve notes in return for U.S. bonds because they don't think they'll ever get their money back on the bonds. Well, I'll tell you, I'm just having a blank out, drawing a blank on this. Um if the Federal well, Reserve won't issue them, it encourages the government to start thinking about issuing Treasury uh, notes, U.S. Treasury notes, and just saying we don't need the Federal Reserve. We won't issue them any bonds. We'll simply print greenbacks ourselves and flood the economy with them, which could lead to inflation and hyperinflation. So, ta-da! You didn't think I would get to the end of it, Yay! Did you? Yay! Uh, See? See, you didn't have to. You didn't have to cry. It, would, it all worked out. 
Um, I just wanted to drag it. No, but I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, they're between a rock and a hard place. I mean, this is going to unfold. So we're going we to have, we're gonna have a, gonna have a collapse purpose. of biblical portion. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, and we'll be right back. Please stay tuned. vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Financial Survival brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. What's next, Melody? Well, one of the other issues that everyone was talking about and waiting was China uh, joining the IMF Fund Reserve. And um, that certainly uh, was effective on Saturday. And it joins the U.S. dollar, the euro, the yen, the British pound, and the IMS special drawing rights basket. And that determines currencies that countries can receive as part of uh, IMF loans. Uh, it was the first time that a new currency had been added since the euro was uh, launched in 1999. And uh, so the IMF is adding the yuan, also known as the renminbi, or people's money. And actually, it was on the same day that the Communist Party celebrates the founding of the People's Republic of China in 1949. So, you know, a big milestone for for China being included uh, in the SDR. And um, 
you know, again, this is a, an affirmation of their success, economics, uh, their economic development, uh, you know, that they're coming up along in the world, and they're going to be a powerful, uh, I think they'll have a powerful statement. You know, you have debates out that, you know, they're, you know, too far in debt, that they're carrying so much debt that there really won't be a powerhouse. Um, others saying that, uh, you know, being included in the SDRs, it's going to replace the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency. I don't buy that. Um, but I do know that China has indicated that they, um, they would prefer something other than a one reserve currency. You know, they don't think one currency should uh, rule the roost as the, as the U.S. dollar does. So, you know, we will see changes. I believe in, in the currencies. I do believe we'll see changes in, in the way things are handled and traded, maybe. Um, but I don't believe it's going to be instant. I think it's going to be a long term. But it does give China a little more control than what they've had before. Then again, you have the IMF, who's controlled by the United States. So, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting and um uh, we'll have to see how it plays out. Do I believe the U.S. dollar is going to continue to lose its value? Absolutely. Um, but I really didn't think that it would, you know, fall out of bed because the uh, U.S. or because China was being added to the uh, SDRs. Well, China wouldn't want the U.S. dollar to continue to lose value. Well, they're holding a lot of virtually, it. Virtually every country in the world, certainly every exporting country in the yeah. world, is trying to cause their currency to lose value. But it can only lose value in relationship to other currencies, particularly the U.S. dollar. And when their currencies go down, ours relatively has to go up. Correct. And we don't want our currency to go up, or at least the government doesn't. They want it to go down. We are caught precisely because we're in that reserve currency status. We're caught on this teeter-totter where the rest of the world is struggling to make their currencies go down, be devalued, be worth less than what they are right now. And when they do, when they make theirs worth less, it's in relationship to the U.S. dollar, in relationship to the world reserve currency, which is the U.S. dollar. So right. this business about being a world reserve currency is not necessarily a great advantage. Plus, the well, people I've anymore. seen some of these reports on China, and they, they say China's the dollar or the yuan is going to grow in value relative to the dollar. I don't think China wants that. China wants a less valuable yuan. Well, they've in order already to devalued it. They already devalued it before they went in the S. They had a whole year to work I understand. on it because I the understand, IMF. But so where I mean, where are know, they now? So I think what will happen is you're going to see a balance in, in the way the IMF runs. Is I mean, they do have a lot of control of of how their currencies are valued, are valued. relative to each other. Exactly. All right, so but they still. I don't know how much control they really have. To me, the SDRs are something like a, a paper tiger. Um, to me, they are another variety of fiat currency to back up the existing fiat currency. They say, oh, the fiat system is failing, so we'll back it up with a new and improved fiat system, and we'll call it special drawing rights. It's nothing but paper or digital. What is it? There's no tangible reality behind that, behind those special drawing rights that I'm able to understand. It's just a new and improved illusion. It's like, okay, you don't want you don't want to fall for that trick, Sonny. You're too smart for me. I got another trick that's even better, and you'll fall for this one. We hope. 
I don't see this as, I, I don't know, I'm not optimistic about the SDRs. And on top of that, in terms of China, I am inclined to think China has intrinsic problems that it will not easily overcome. Population one, pollution two, water purity three, potential for plagues and uh, epidemics four. Well, they've always had those. <laughs> you know, I mean, that but isn't anything really new. But the thing of it is, they, they do they have, have a little more bit demand of- on water because of their industry. But they do have a little bit of control over our finances because they do hold a lot of our debt. And I do believe that some of these central banks will have to add some of these yuan assets to their reserves, to their official reserves. So, you know, but the whole point was I didn't think you would see any type of market changes just because it went official October 1st of this year. No, I, didn't think think you, I didn't think you would see. Be. I didn't think you would see any impact to the financial markets. You know, I think it's going to be a longer term if we see no any immediate impact. No immediate. By the time impact. we do see an impact, things will be happening, and people Absolutely. will say, "Well, we'll blame it on China's entry into the special drawing rights basket." But the truth of the matter is, if you don't see something happen for 90 or 120 days, 180 days or whatever, can you really trace it back to whether the Chinese yuan was added to the SDR currency basket or not? I mean, if it happens, all right, we added it on Friday, and on Saturday we saw the stock markets fall 3,000 points. All right, then we got an, you have an argument. You have cause and effect, and you can make a compelling argument. What if you have the change takes place on September 30th, and we don't notice any effects for three, four, six months or more? Can we really prove cause and effect, or is it just an interesting argument? And the truth is, I don't think we'll know. If it doesn't happen right now, will, what will, we, will we be able to trace back to special drawing rights six months from now? We can make the argument, mm-hmm. but what can we prove? It's just, and the point of all mm-hmm. of this is we are living in a world that is ambiguous, unclear, mystical, magical, illusory. Right? It's like an LSD experience for, for, for the whole world, and we're kind of on it, and some of us are enjoying the trip, but this isn't real. They're doing things. They are trying to convince us that they can use fiat dollars, pieces of paper, or even digital ones and zeros on hard drives, that they are a perfectly good substitute for money, which is physical gold and physical silver. And they're trying to convince us, no, no, this is, this is the new reality. I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, you can get people high. You can get them stoned for a while on this. But eventually, they either become so sick from the drug that they keep that they quit taking it, or they just can't afford to take it anymore. But whatever happens, they eventually wake up, at least a lot of them do, and they say, hey, this is stupid. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is crazy. You know? And that's where we kind of are right now. We have engaged in this bizarre notion that we can run the world based on fiat currency rather than real money. And it is leading us to calamity. And part of that calamity is just the size of the national debt and the size of the global debt. National debt's too big to be repaid, and it may be anywhere from five to ten times greater than is than what than what the government claims. They can't pay it as it stands. 
It may be at least five times greater, and it might be ten times greater. And it definitely won't be paid. When it gets wiped out, guess what? We wipe out all the relevant, all the uh, the assets, the people that are treating, the, they've got U.S. bonds, for example. They say, ha-ha, I'm rich, I have a $100,000 U.S. bond. And all of a sudden the government says, oops, we can't pay the debt. Guess what? The bond just became worthless. That bond is laying the foundation. It's in, the, it's in people's pension funds. It's in bank vaults. It's being used, if only as evidence of wealth. And if it disappears, guess what? The paper wealth disappears with it. We are just caught in this bizarre situation where the debt can't be paid. Too great to be paid. And it can't be repudiated because if we repudiate it, we wipe out the correlative paper assets. And what it means is this system is going to continue until we have something like a catastrophic failure. We're not going to work our way out of this. We're going to keep on holding it together and holding it together and holding it together. And people say, yay, we're really smart. We held it together until finally it just snaps. Then everybody will start to scream and say, what is reality? Get me off these drugs. I need to get back to reality so I can survive. I only have two other little things, Al. Um, Talking about banks and money. Well, the European banks, they're looking to... They have a fresh round of uh, jobs uh, that are going to be let go because of tougher rules and the negative interest rates are weighing on their profits. You have the Amsterdam-based lender. They said today that they're going to the ING. They're going to slash 5,800 positions. Of course, they said over five years, but (laughs) I doubt if they're going to do it over five years because I think five years, you know, by then it'll probably be, you know, Thrice that will be three times as much. Um, Germany's uh, Commerce Bank, uh, they just closed plans to cut about 9,600 jobs. And Spain's uh, Banco Popular said that it's going to eliminate as many as 3,000 posts after tapping investors for funds. So, you know, again, regulatory cost, uh, competition on margins, uh, these low-rate environments is just killing a lot of those uh, foreign banks. So, again, and we're not talking about Deutsche Bank here. So, um, I think all the banks, most of them are in trouble, and they absolutely. have to be because we are running a debt-based monetary system on a global basis, which means we are treating debt as if it were an asset, and what debt is, is merely a promise to pay. That's all it is. It's an IOU. It's a promise to pay. I promise. Hey, hey, I promise to give you $100,000 next Friday. Well, what if I can't keep my promise? Right now, those promises are being used as assets in banks. Mm -hmm. But there's more promises out there than can ever be kept. And sooner or later, that's going to become apparent to the world that the promises can't be kept. They're going to lose confidence in the paper debt instruments, and value of the paper debt instruments will fall, and the value, the perceived value of gold and silver will rise. It will happen because people say, oh, my gosh, there's more promises than anybody can keep. That's where we are. And, we're, and we have to be there. Right? The system depends on making more promises and more promises and more promises. I promise to pay you $100,000 next Friday. And if I don't, I'll pay you a million on the Friday after that. 
And if I don't, I'll pay you $100 million on the Friday after that. And if I don't, I'll pay you a billion on the Friday after that. And this is how the system works, at least, you know, figuratively speaking. They have to go deeper and deeper into debt. And sooner or later, people just say, look, I'm not going any deeper into debt. I got all I want. I got all I need. I got all I can handle. There's, there's no more room in the garage for plastic toys for the kids from Christmas. Don't even have a place to park my car, and I can't afford to build a new garage. So I'm, I'm, I'm housing all the, all the toys we don't use on the, on the real garage. Um, I'm not going any deeper into debt. And then the whole thing begins to simply fold up. House of Cards, Ponzi scheme. And that's what it really is. It really is just a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, that's what it really is. And when they run out of greater fools, when they run out of greater fools and people say, "Uh, I don't think I want that worthless piece of paper from my bass boat or my land or the house I'm selling or whatever, I'm going to hold out for something tangible. I'm not going to take worthless pieces of paper anymore. Or if I do, I'm going to trade it almost instantly in for something tangible. And we get to the point where we run out of greater fools than this debt monetary system, Ponzi scheme, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Bank goes down, folds up like a house of cards, and people will scream. And before we get it will in. will wipe out the paper wealth right. people believe in right now. Before we get into the next break, I just wanted to mention, and we're talking finances, bank, and, and so forth, but the U.S. suspends contacts with Russia and Syria. They said uh, just a couple of hours ago that the U.S. is suspending bilateral contacts with Russia over Syria. That comes after last week's threat by uh, Secretary of State John Kerry to suspend new contacts amid the new tax on the city of Aleppo. Um, the department said in a statement Monday that Russia had not lived up to the terms of an agreement last month to restore the ceasefire and ensure sustained deliveries of humanitarian aid to the besieged cities. And um, Russia warns the U.S. attack on Syrian troops would have terrible tectonic consequences. This was actually yesterday. Um, so, you know, things are just collapsing. Over there. Well, they're vibrating. I mean, you yeah. look at that, and how big a deal is this? On the one uh, hand, we read it, it's and it's a deal. big deal. On the other hand, the United States, according to some sources, is responsible for the death of 62 or 72 Syrian soldiers back a week ago. And they think there's some sources say we did it intentionally, meaning we're working with the rebels rather than against the rebels. Uh I don't know. The whole thing is this big news. Is it just white noise? I think it. I don't think it's white noise, but I. I don't know if it's big news, but I think it's news again to add to the turmoil in the states around this country, around the world. I mean, you know, we we just have so many things going on, and at any one time, any one instant, you certainly could have that moment when you wake up and the whole world has changed. Well, we talked. Last week about and yes, I do believe this is one of them, and I do believe Syria is a very important part of you know people believe in end times that we're quickly approaching. I do believe if you believe that, I think Syria is a very major part of that. Well, Syria is a major part if we make it a major part. Um, you know, and what I mean by that, things could happen in Syria, and we could just say, so what? What's that got to do with us? We make some of these problems become big because for some reason we get involved in them. And it's not clear to me that our involvement is always just a matter of 
the government is attempting to serve national interests. I'm not even. I don't think that's what's going on. I don't think we're in Syria for national interests. But we can talk about that when we return. We're going to take a break for a couple of commercials. Melody and I will be back in just a moment on financial survival. Please stay tuned. We'll be we'll be, be joining you shortly. Here's an important message from Vita Scientific. If you have high blood sugar or type 2 diabetes, these are serious medical issues that require immediate attention. Did you know that it's possible to actually reverse high blood sugar and diabetes by using simple, natural products proven to balance your blood sugar? It's time to do what I did. Take control of your life. Vita Scientific's clinically tested formula will help you to feel healthy and energetic. These breakthrough supplements, along with small changes in your diet and exercise plan, may be the answer you've been looking for to set you on the path to optimal health. These products will not interfere with your current medical treatments, so start getting excited about feeling great again. Please visit VitaScientific.com or call Vita Scientific at 210-520-8432. That's 210-520-8432 to learn more. Tell them Doc Green sent you and get 50% off your first order. Call now. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Haddisk here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Programs brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver. What's next, Melody? I just want to remind the listeners to visit our website at dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. Make sure you sign up for our weekly newsletter, and, of course, you can listen to our programs. They are there live and also archived, dgscoins.com. we got some of the best prices across the country uh, for all your gold and silver coins, and our service is terrific, and so is our shipping. So give us... Give us a call, 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. An article here from the Ballman letter. Um, the headline is, Do You Really Own Your Gold? What he's arguing is that people think they own gold when they get a piece of paper. They have a claim and they have the gold stored someplace else. They say, oh, yes, I have I have this piece of paper. See, I'm entitled to 100 ounces of gold 
that says so. And the guy signed it, and it's even got a, a little shiny seal on it, the rest of that sort of thing. You don't own the gold unless you have your hands on it. And he illustrates it this way. He says, German megabank Deutsche Bank is in serious trouble. The International Monetary Fund is publicly called it one of the greatest threats to the global financial system. Over the past few years, Deutsche Bank has been the principal bank and repository for a popular exchange-traded commodity fund, that is to say an ETC, an exchange-traded commodity fund called Extra Gold. As you know, most ETFs, uh, which are a collection of stocks or bonds, and ETCs, again, exchange-traded commodity funds, don't really own any gold. They just own a claim on gold. Extra Gold, however, differentiated itself from other ETCs by stating in its investor contract that, quote, every gram of gold purchased electronically is backed by the same amount of physical gold stored in the Frankfurt vaults of Clearstream Banking AG, a wholly owned subsidiary of Deutsche Börse AG, one of Deutsche Bank's subsidiaries. So what they're saying here, this extra gold, which says that every gold you've, every ounce of every gram of gold you buy, there's a gram in the vault. All right, promise. That's extra gold. Well, it's a subsidiary ultimately of Deutsche Bank, and uh, extra gold implicitly said that every time an investor buys shares, a corresponding amount of gold is purchased and put into the vault so that investors always have the possibility of demanding delivery of the securitized amount of gold per bearer note. In other words, if you want your gold from the extra gold vault, you just call them and say, knock, 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 I'm here, I'd like my gold. I say, just, just a second, we'll get it right for you. Because of this gold, extra was... Uh, extremely popular. During the first seven months of this year, order book turnover on extra stood at approximately one and a half billion euros. The assets managed by extra currently amount to uh, three and a half billion euros. People piled into extra because it promised the small spreads and low fees of an electronically uh, traded commodity and the of an ETC, excuse me, and the promise of quick physical delivery of gold on demand. Usually you get one or the other, but not both. It seemed too good to be true. It was too good to be true. Recently, an extra investor encountered a big surprise. When he went to arrange for delivery of physical gold, a Deutsche Bank account executive informed him that physical delivery is no longer offered for reasons of business policy. All right? They promised if you want your gold, we got it. For every dollar you throw into the bank, we've got a dollar's worth of gold waiting on you with your name on it. That's essentially what they promised. And the guy went up knocking on the door and says, I'd like my gold now. And they said, sorry, Charlie, we changed our business policy, and you're not going to get it. Now, if you want to turn your shares of extra gold into physical gold, you have to sell your shares to a willing buyer and use the proceeds to buy gold somewhere else, which is not what extra promised at all. Um, what about those promises for full gold blast, uh, backing and how did they get out of this? And there's a clause in the investor contract that allows extra to modify its terms as the need arises. 
Many contracts include such boilerplate, and many people simply ignore it precisely because it's boilerplate. But the problem is that any contract that allows one party to alter the terms at will means the other party has no real rights of ownership. In other words, I can take out a contract with you people and tell you for every $100,000 you send me, I'm going to have $100,000 in gold It'll be waiting on you and you can get it whenever you want, except here's the last trick in the, con- in the contract that says, unless I change the terms and maybe sell the gold. Well, the lesson in all of this is that Deutsche Bank is in a lot of trouble. And because it's in a lot of trouble and it's very survival and is, is at risk, it's willing to grasp at straws right now. And those straws include taking the gold out of other people's accounts, at least in Deutsche Bank subsidiaries. Right? And what we see here is an illustration of what can happen to anyone who trusts conventional banks or gold depositories unless you have absolutely read and understood the entire contract with all the fine print and the rest of it and made sure that there is no wiggle room. If they say they've got gold and you get the gold, then at minimum they will have the gold. Uh, The physical gold, it will be there. If there's a line in the contract that says, it'll be there unless unless we run into a problem, then you don't really have a claim. You don't own that gold. You have something like an IOU, you have something like a pledge, but you don't really own the gold. And the point behind the article is that if you don't hold the gold in your hand, you don't really own it, and you are trusting your financial future, however much you've got tied up in your gold, if you're trusting it to a piece of paper or a claim, uh, you're taking risks that probably you may, that you may live to regret before it's all over. Melody. Yes, and I agree. And I agree. Uh, and even if you have a contract that does spell it out, look to see who your contract is with. Uh, I'm sure there's uh, folks out there that will have a very nice, fancy contract that says you can come and get your gold at any time. Uh, but then again, look who's uh, selling you the contract. So again, it, just take physical delivery if you can. If you have an IRA and you can't, uh, you just can't bite the bullet to pay the taxes or the penalties, and you have to convert those paper investments into gold and silver, you know, at least put it in a gold IRA that is stored in a depository, you know, that is well known. Um, someone told me the other day, oh, well, my gold dealer uh, is storing it for me in some depository in North Dakota. Like, really? Are you kidding me? And you trust that? I'm sure they have a very nice contract. Oh, you can come and visit your gold anytime you want. Folks, in a time of crisis, do you really expect to get it back or all of it? I'm not saying this is a, a bad place, I, I, you know, but I'm, come on, it's just, just, it's just common sense. You know, it's just common sense that there could be problems. So it's not that difficult to store your own gold and silver. I don't care how much you have. For the multi-million dollar owners of of gold and silver, you can store it yourself. Um, There's smart ways. You buy a safe. Um, You buy a good safe. 
and it's not complicated to do so. And perhaps the fees of, and the cost of buying a safe is probably less expensive than the fees that you're being charged to have it stored with a gold dealer. It just, I hear so many of these programs are so disturbing. I can't even believe that people actually do it. I was reading one today, Al. You give us your credit card. Once a month, we'll take a deduction when you tell us to. If you tell us to deduct it on the 15th of the month, we'll deduct whatever you tell us to deduct. And then we'll make one major buy. And then we'll ship you sometime at the end of the month. And it's like, really? <laughs> I, I, it sounds smart. It's like, like for the little guy who 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 doesn't, uh, you know, get benefits. Of sometimes a large buyer will get a little bit of a discount or so forth. But it really doesn't work that way. Uh, and just like us, we don't penalize the small buyer. You know, he gets a fairly good price. Um, and certainly, if you have, you know, if someone's buying a half a million dollars worth of product, yeah, we'll help you out if we can. Um, but sometimes the same price is a little guy for the big guy because my prices are so competitive. I don't need to play those games. And that's all this is. It's it's a lot of game playing by a lot of gold dealers out there that are, are trying to get your money. And uh, so you just have to be careful out there. And I always enjoy, I don't enjoy, but I always like hearing from the listeners and from my buyers of the various programs that they hear. They get approached you know, dealers call them, um, you know, why don't you trade your coins for these coins? You don't want those. And it's just like, why are they even calling you? If they were busy enough, they wouldn't have to call you. So, again, Al. Got an article here from Cointelegraph, Cointelegraph. And the article is entitled, Keep Your Bitcoins. Central Bankers Bubble Will Burst Very Soon. Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. It exists purely as a digital phenomena. It's yeah, privately created. It's not associated with governments to any, any degree I'm aware of. Um, and cryptocurrencies like gold are appreciating. They're becoming more valuable due to growing anticipation that the fiat dollar may fail. Both sides, that is to say, cryptocurrencies and gold, agree that fiat dollars are doomed. If and when that doom takes place, we'll see which side, cryptocurrencies or gold, will prevail. Given the dangers of, dis of digital currency thefts, I'm voting for gold. Still, both sides might cooperate to work side by side if the fiat dollar died. In the meantime, gold is for investors, cryptocurrencies are for speculators. The big question now is, will cryptocurrencies merely stand by passively? waiting for the fiat dollar to collapse and die? Or will the invention and growing use of cryptocurrencies actually help kill the fiat dollar? All right. Um, there is, and the big point about this is that the people who advocate cryptocurrencies, they're doing this because they know the dollar is going down, or at least that's their argument. And I agree with that argument. And they're saying when the dollar dies, everybody's going to flood into cryptocurrencies. And Melody and I are sitting here and saying, no, when the dollar dies, everybody's going to flood into gold and silver. Right? So we disagree. We are competitors with bitcoins. We're competitors. Gold and silver are, is, are competitors with the cryptocurrencies. 
But the thing about the cryptocurrencies, we've got, we've got a story down here. Let me see if I've got it or I don't have it. Uh, here, here, here it is. Anybody who wants to store their wealth in the form of a cryptocurrency needs to look at this. You've already heard this, but the headline, this is from the Hacker News, and it says, uh-oh, Yahoo data breach may have hit over 1 billion users. The massive data breach at Yahoo confirmed to the world last week is claimed by the company to have carried out by a state-sponsored actor in 2014. Two years ago, they finally admitted, which, is ex which exposed the accounts of at least 500 million Yahoo uh, users. Recently, another uh, security firm suggests that over a billion accounts may have been hacked. And there's one more twist on this. Uh, recent advancement in the report indicates that the number of affected Yahoo accounts may have been between 1 billion and 3 billion. All right, well, the point to all of this is these Yahoo accounts, in their own way, they're digital accounts. They're similar to cryptocurrencies, which are just another digital account. If it's possible to hack into 3 billion, perhaps as many as 3 billion Yahoo accounts, what makes anyone think that a cryptocurrency is safe? You know, we live in a world where, again, if you want to, if, if, if you want to hold on to your wealth in a tangible form, you've got land and guns and bullets and tools and food, all right, water, gold and silver, and there's maybe some other things besides that. But if you want to hold it in tangible form, Yes, you have a good chance at, at sustaining your wealth. But if you're going to put it in digital, you've got, to be a, you've, you've got to be awfully optimistic. And it's really not an opportunity for investors, in my opinion. It's, a, it's an opportunity for gamblers. It's an opportunity for speculators. Go out there and get yourself some Bitcoins, and they've had... They have appreciated to a fantastic degree. But so did tulips back in the 1600s when the Dutch had their tulip mania. And at the, at the peak, one tulip bulb was worth, one tulip bulb was, uh, was worth the, the wages of, a skill, of 10 skilled craftsmen. Today, that would be something like the equivalent of something like $500,000 for a tulip bulb. This is... Evidence of what happens. We are, as people, we get into these manias from time to time, but when we do, big trouble can come our way. We're out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Alfred Adisk, and here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival. Be back tomorrow. Hope you'll tune in then. In the meantime, that the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Todd, our producer. Bye bye. I work all night, I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Payment is fast. And still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too fast. In my dreams, I have a friend. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a
Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it. Nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at one 800 375 4188. That's 1 800 375 4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on Shortwave Radio. Visit discountgoldandsilvertrading.net or call 1 800 375 4188. That's 1 800 375 4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll free 1 800 375 4188. That's 1 800 375 4188. Call now. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserve, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states, up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit SelfDefenseFund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people. 
your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to Wichita Homeless.
afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Monday, October 3rd, 2016, and it is about nine and a half minutes after 2 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you are, then we're live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. That is toll-free. You can get right on the air, and in you go. But if you don't want to do that, you don't have to. You can also participate in the show by going to the chat room, which I'm actually in right now. Hello, everybody, and howdy back at you. And uh, let's see, somebody asking, can I get to foxnews.com? Yes, uh, I can. I did. And, uh, oh, let's see. It's a link to Secret Side Deal. FBI agreed to destroy laptops of Hillary Clinton aides who received immunity. Really? Wait a minute. FBI agreed to destroy laptops. Why? That is destroying evidence. I don't think the FBI is authorized to do that. I'm pretty sure that's a crime. Well, it certainly would be for me or you, that's for sure. But I guess James Comey gets to do whatever the hell he wants, as long as it's for the benefit of his little girl witch there, Hillary. So I don't know if it was a problem with the website or that story. But anyway, uh, let's see. There's lots of things and stuff going on, so we will get to that right now. Oh, let's see here. What's this? Oh, the U.S. isn't one of the top ten most free countries in the world anymore. Well, good golly. Who'd have thunk it, huh? We're not? Really? No, we're not even close, man. Uh, Let's see. Oh, how do we do this here? In 1840, males outnumbered females 8.68 million to 8.38 million in the United States. By 1950, there were more females than males for the first time in U.S. history, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. But yet, women are considered a minority. Women are treated as though there's not as many of them, and they don't have a say because, good golly, we're just a bunch of brutes clubbing them over the head with wooden sticks and dragging them by their hair into the cave so they can cook us dinner and have us babies, right? Really? You see the lie there? Women are not a minority, yet they are treated as such. Because sometime in history, before the 1950s, they actually were a minority. But here's, some, uh, here's the list. And I'll just uh, give you the uh, ranking. Now, they use, let's see, in this study, they use eight guiding po- guideposts. Uh, let's see. I have to tilt my head sideways because this is sideways on the screen. Economy is one. Entrepreneurship and opportunity is another. Uh, govern- governance. Education, health, safety and security, personal freedom, 
and social capital, whatever the heck that means. But anyway, uh, by this study, and, and again, folks, you know, this is a study. I mean, when you do a study about who's the most freest, well, <laughs> you can try to be fair, but, I mean, it's still somewhat subjective. So number one, they have as Norway. Okay? And uh, number two, Switzerland. Number three, Denmark. Number four, New Zealand. Remember now, these are the most freest countries on earth, according to this. So Norway is the most free. Switzerland is the next freest. Denmark is the next freest. New Zealand is the next freest. Sweden is the next freest. Canada is number six, Australia is number seven, the Netherlands is number eight, Finland is number nine, and Ireland is number ten. That's the top ten. Woohoo! Yeah, yippee. Uh, that's just great, man. Um, now, Canada is ranked as the highest in personal freedoms. I don't know how that can be. You know, I, I don't know how that can be in a country that extradites people to Germany because they uh, they don't believe that six million Jews got killed in the Holocaust. And that's not saying that no Jews got killed in the Holocaust. That's not even saying that a million didn't get killed in the Holocaust, or two, or three, or four, or five, or 550 no, 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 no. It has to be six million or you're going to jail in Canada. How how is that freedom? How is that personal freedom? So you know, you can take this thing with a with a grain of salt. United States is number eleven, okay? And uh you know, so we're not doing as well as we did. All right, that's for sure. And everybody, you know, do you really need a study? I mean, maybe if you're 20 years old, you need a study. But if you're my age, you don't need a study to know that we're less free now than we were when we were children. And I don't mean because we were children and we had the freedom of children. No. I'm talking about everybody. One of the big ones here, entrepreneurship. Are you kidding me? I remember as a kid, man, people actually had it in their mind that, well, I'd like to start my own business. Regular people had jobs. Now it's, boy, I'd sure like to get me a government job. Why? Because people love the government? No. It's because the government jobs pay twice as much. But when you get there, you better keep your mouth shut, you better toe the line, and you better do your 20 and out. That's why all the brave patriots who never said a friggin' word for their whole life, while they were either in the military or in government service of some kind, now they're retired, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm an insider, oh, let me tell you what I know, oh, let me, uh, freedom, freedom, freedom. Yeah, where were you for the last 20 years? Towing the line, okay, carrying the water for the bastards that are, ter- that are destroying this country. That's where. Oh, that's great. That's great. You decided to change your mind and, uh, you know, be one of the good guys now. But you know what? It's a little hollow. Anyway, uh, let's see here. 
<laughs> yeah. Google promotes controversial claim. Here it comes. You're sitting down. It's not possible for ethnic minorities to be racist against white people. Tech giant foregrounds idea that white people cannot be victims of racism in search results. You know what, folks? I don't think anybody can be a victim of racism in a search result, for crying out loud. I mean, uh, really? Why, that search result is racist! The tech giant's search results appear to foreground left-leaning answers to this highly controversial question. Rather than giving a view which reflects the fact, there is debate over this contentious issue. You know, it's like global warming. I mean, these crackpot liberal nutcase communists are out there saying, well, it's settled science and you'll have to go to jail if you uh, deny it. It's not settled science. Look, let me tell you something they've done. When you go look at the list, and they've got them of oh, climate, you know, all these experts have signed on to climate change, and uh, they say it's real, and they say it's a problem, and they say you got to get a, a bicycle instead of a car, and they say, they say, they say, and they're experts. Why, well, just look at the list. PhD this, PhD that, PhD, 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 masters, 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 PhD, and everybody goes, wow, what a bunch of smart people. Well, you know what? You can get a Ph.D. in English literature, okay? But that's what they've done. They've taken all these highly educated people, but they're highly educated in fields not in environmental science. Other fields, okay? That's like taking, man, I am a master mechanic. I can fix any motor out there. Oh, really? Okay, well, in that case, uh, then let's uh, let's put you over here to build this house. Huh? Well, you're a master mechanic. You're an expert. You're highly skilled. Come on, build that house. Yeah, well, he's not a carpenter, okay? He may be very good mechanic, but he... he <laughs> He uh, might not be much of a carpenter. Master carpenter might not be much of a mechanic. Okay? That's why they're educated in their fields. This is why they have degrees in what they have degrees in, the subjects. But what the climate change liars have done is they've just taken any, anybody with a title out there, and some of these people haven't even signed on. They just added them. We'll just go through the roster. It's like going through the... Uh, you know, that's like me going on here. It, it, you know, this would be like something uh, that would be comparable in in what I do, radio. That would be like me one day saying, oh, okay, let me put a list of all our FM affiliates on here. And I just go to the phone book in different states, and I find 50 uh, FM stations, and I put them down there that they're my affiliates. They don't know who I am. They've never played one AVR show in, in their existence, but it doesn't matter. I put them on my list as affiliates, and you look and I go, woohoo, man, look at all those affiliates. Yeah, but it's not true. That's the thing they've done 
with these so-called experts, these PhDs. Their PhD, their master's degree, is not in environmental science. And unless you have a PhD or master's degree in environmental science, you don't have anything to say. Well, and now look, there's some other, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe geology. You might be able to have a little clue about what's going on in that or something like that. But what I mean is a related course of study. And you know what? There are very few of those. Very few of those. As a matter of fact, most of them question man-made climate change. Because you know what? You know why they changed it from global warming to climate change? Is because people can argue global warming. Because there are statistics. Is it getting warmer or is it getting colder? Like the statistics say that it is from the stations where they keep track of this stuff. And plus, the stations where they keep track of this stuff are at airports in the middle of cities where it's hotter anyway. So they skew the numbers to begin with. Why don't they use the satellite data, which is a more wide-ranging you know, what is the temperature over a larger area? Is it actually going up? Because we are talking about global climate change, right? Well, they changed the name because obviously nobody can say there is no climate change. You cannot say that because you would be wrong. There is always climate change. There is not always global warming. And you can argue that with statistics. So they got to get away from statistics. Do you see how the liberal communist mindset works? Do you see what psychopolitics is really about? You, this is a, an example in real life of what Beria was talking about in the book Psychopolitics. I suggest you get it. It's, not a, it's, it's a short booklet. We used to sell it, but... You know, sadly, it wasn't very popular, so, you know, we don't, we don't have it anymore. But Psychopolitics, it's written by Barry. I think you can get it online. Look it up. Give it a read. This is a perfect example of real-life psychopolitics. Because what they did is they realized global warming can be argued with facts. Well, communists can't have that because everything they go on is feelings-based. Not factual. We feel like if we took care of everybody, everybody would be happy. We feel like utopia would be a great thing. And if everybody was happy, it would be utopia. And if we can take care of everybody, it would be, you know, we just all need to pitch in equally so we can all equally benefit. And that's what we feel like we ought to do. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't work. It never has. It never will. Now, the real evil behind this knows it never will work and all it will do is destroy civilization and that is the goal of the evil one behind it you can believe that or not so they change it to climate change because nobody can argue the climate changes but they don't say man-made climate change they just say climate change but what it means is man-made climate change they leave that out because you see that's another point that could be argued 
They're very clever word artists. Anyway, let's move on here. Uh, America's currently locked in a passionate argument about whether some supporters of groups like Black Lives Matter are actually racist towards white people, with people from different sides of the political spectrum offering very view. You know, what? <laughs> look, this is not rocket science. Why is there an, uh, what do you mean, passionate argument? There's no argument, all right? If you don't like somebody else, based solely on the fact that they are a different race than you are, you're a racist. You're practicing racism against that other person. It doesn't matter if they're in the minority or the majority or whatever. If you look at somebody and say, I hate him, oh, really, why? Have you met him? Nope, don't know him. So you've never met him, you don't know him, but you hate him. Yep, I hate him. Why? Because he's not the same race as I am. Okay, that's racism, regardless of who's saying it against who. It is still racism. How is this an argument? Are people really that stupid that they don't understand racism isn't about majority and minority? It is about what you do, whoever you are, and it applies equally. If you have any kind of preconceived, stereotypical view about somebody simply based on their race. You're practicing racism to a degree. Now, I'm not saying racism is bad either. All right? I'm not. I think racism is good. Now, do I think lynching people based on their race is good? No. Do I think denying people jobs because of their race? No. Okay? We live in a country where we're all supposed to be equal under the law. Okay? But, you know what? If I own a business and I don't like a certain race, for whatever reason, it doesn't even have to be justified. Why should, I serve, why should I be forced to serve those people with my business? Go to another business that likes you. You know, because businessmen generally don't cut off money supplies based on, well, I just don't like them people. Oh, okay, so you just don't like them people. Yep, that's right, I don't like them people, so I'm not letting them people come to my store and spend their money at my store. That's right, because I don't like them people. So I'm going to show them by letting them keep their own money and spend it elsewhere. See, that's not a real good business plan. That's why business owners generally wouldn't do that. Oh, sure, back in the South, down in the, you know, 50s and, yeah, you know, you go over there, don't come in here. But really, and there would still be a few of those now. Yeah, I'm not baking a cake for homos. Go to the other cake-making place. They'll, build, they'll do it. They're homos themselves. Go to them. You see, but homos don't want to do that. Homos want to sue people and put people that don't believe what they believe out of business. 
because they are vicious little faggots. That's why. These are not happy gay people. They're vicious little deviants, okay? And if you ever known any, you'd know that's true. Oh, they can smile on your face and they are a bunch of backstabbing, lying, well, little bitches, really. Pardon my French. Anyway, so it keeps going here. However, Google's search facility offers a rather one-sided solution to this thorny and divisive question. We search Google using several terms to the phrase, can you be racist towards white people? Google showed us an explanation which appears to be taken from the Huffington Post. Any person can be racist regardless of their own race. Google's search rankings explained, wrong! No, they can't. No, they can't. Racism requires power and prejudice. White people have power to oppress black people because they control the system and economic structure. Of course, they spell economic wrong, and, you know, an idiot wrote this. Can you be racist to white person? While reverse racism does not exist, racism does. Any person can be racist regardless of their own race. Wrong. No, they can't. Racism requires power and prejudice. White people have power, blah, blah, blah. We also asked if a black person be racist against a white person, and we're told the usage of the word racist relative to hate speech by blacks or on blacks or whites is incorrect. A subjugated group cannot be racist. They can only be prejudicial. Oh, really? Who made up these rules? And a subjected ra- a group? Subjected to what? Subjugated what? Subjugated to who? See, folks, this is the crap they're teaching your kids, folks. I'm telling you. This punk, you know, and, and that Schmidt guy, you know, the punk at Fedbook and the Schmidt guy at Google, man, these people have billions of dollars at their disposal to influence and manipulate your children. And this is the kind of stuff they're doing it with. Anyhow, we're going to take a uh, break, and we'll be back in just a bit.
shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You are listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Monday, October 3rd, 2016. We are here in rainy, cooler Southern Oregon. I am not complaining. No, I'll be complaining in a month of rain and cold. But right now, it is a pleasant change from hot and dry. Anyway, it is about 2.43 out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we're live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number and how you can get on the air. You can also go to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Anyway, you'll uh, have, uh, what do you call it? Hey, we got a chat room there. There's folks in the chat room. You can go chat with them, be social, meet people who probably think very similar to the way you think, unlike the folks you meet every day at work and at home and your family and friends and all those people that, you know, you really kind of have to deal with, but they don't see things your way. I mean, some of them, I'm sure you, you everybody has people that do, but they're the minority. But in the chat room, they're the majority, so... Head on in there, socialize. You can also uh, participate in the show because, like, for right now, I'm looking at it. All right? I'm looking at it. Yeah. Anyway, so I asked everybody in there, uh, you know, do you know the band? Uh, Nobody did. Both songs were by the same band. And 10 years after, that would be Alvin Lee, you know, the lead for that. But the band, 10 years after. Anyway, you like that kind of music, you like that band. All right, let's get to new more stuff. Yep. How about Douche Bank? Oh, did I say that? Oh, my, I meant Deutsche Bank. Yeah, well, uh, let's see. They're slashing 7,000 jobs and closing, uh, you know, they're closing uh, branches. Yep, uh, let's see. Uh, And they're going to invest in their digital platforms. They think they're going to save $900 million uh, by by, by 2021. Okay. So they think they're going to, let's see, how many years is that? Let's see, 16, uh, five years. So in five years, ooh, a five-year plan. Yay, like the commies do. Uh, $900 million in five years, so that's $200 million a year. Less than $200 million a year. You know what? I don't think that's going to save Douche Bank. Jeez, uh, I just can't help myself. Deutsche Bank. Um, the layoffs represent slightly less than 12% of their 52,000 uh, workforce. Because nearly 1,000 are expected to come at suppliers rather than the bank itself. Oh, yeah. Well, you see, this is going to... Uh, cascade through the economy, just like it would here, folks. I mean, everybody talks about it, and I've mentioned this before, but think about it. Put your thinking cap on, and and you'll realize that if tomorrow, hey, all you hardworking people out there, and I, hey, I can, I don't get food stamps, so I can look at it and say, hey, yeah, get them lousy, rotten, uh, lazy people off of food stamps. Knock that out. Cut it out. Don't give them any more food stamps. That's it. Okay. 
So we figure the vast majority of people on food stamps are taking advantage of the system, so we want to cancel it. That would be the reason, right? Because nobody wants people to starve just because I like to see people starve, right? There's got to be another reason. You think they're taking advantage of it. You don't think they've earned it. You don't think they deserve it. On and on it goes. So, okay, I'm not going to argue the point whether you're right or wrong. Okay? And listen, my point of view is that out of all the forms of assistance, meaning, here's your cash money check, honey, or here's your free house with a swimming pool out back, and yeah, under under Section 8, you can end up in a house like that. Or you can live in uh, this, uh, you know, affordable housing that they used to call the projects. Out of all the assistances that we can give people, I am most in favor of being more liberal with food stamps than any of the others. See, I would cut out Section 8. I would cut out the projects. I would cut out... I would. The first thing I would cut out is cash money. Nobody gets cash money, especially if you're getting food stamps and you're getting a free place to live. You don't need any cash money. You got food, you got a place to live. You want more, go get a job. Oh, there ain't no jobs? Well, then maybe you ought to write that congressman and say, hey, why ain't there any more jobs? Or maybe you ought to get a clue. Listen to somebody who's talking out there saying, hey, you know why you don't have any jobs? Is because we signed up with NAFTA, and we created the World Trade Organization, and all your jobs went to low-wage slave countries. That's why we don't have any jobs here. But you see, as long as they're sucking off the teeth, they're never going to look around and see what's wrong, because nothing's wrong for them. So personally... I don't have any problem with the food stamp program. As a matter of fact, I'd give more people food stamps. I would allow more people to qualify for food stamps. But I would cut out completely any welfare cash payments. Not happening. Now, you want to go to Social Security, get disability? That's another story, okay? That's not welfare. If you're disabled somehow, fine, you know. Look, folks, if we can't take care of our needy and our poor, then we're not much of a civilization. But if we canceled the food stamp program tomorrow, which I know some of you out there are for that, and again, I'm not going to argue with you about it. I just I don't I don't see it that way. But you might, and you might have good reasons. But. Think about this. So, tomorrow, nobody gets any food stamps, and nobody's going to get any food stamps. Okay. Well, we've shown those people, you know, you're going to go hungry, or you're going to go get some way to get some food. You're going to get a job that doesn't exist or something. You're going to do something. But what's going to happen to the grocery stores, folks? This is the cascade that I'm talking about when Deutsche Bank lays off 7,000 people. Or was it 7,000? I forget. Yeah, I think it was. See, when you do stuff like that, there is a cascade because those 7,000 people, just like all the people on food stamps, what do you think they do with those food stamps? Well, they take them to the grocery stores and they spend them. And then the grocery stores redeem them. 
and then they can afford to pay their electric bill and maybe expand and remodel and yada, yada, on and on it goes. And if that stopped tomorrow, do you realize how many grocery stores across America would go out of business? At the end of the day, there would probably be two or three grocery chains left in America if food stamps stopped tomorrow. Because you know why? Places like Walmart can afford to operate at a loss for a decade. Yeah, they're so rich, they have so much money, that they could afford to run at a loss for a decade. Not very many other businesses can do that. So the last man standing, bang, now I'm the only one. Up go the prices. I'm not operating at a loss anymore, and all my competition is gone. That's what would happen if you stopped food stamps tomorrow. That's what's going to happen with Deutsche Bank, because those 7,000 people that formerly had jobs are not going to have jobs, which means they're not going to buy as much stuff as they used to buy. And these are probably highly paid people if they work for Deutsche Bank, because, see, that's one of the reasons they're going out of business. But the thing is, what's going to happen to the guy who, uh, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a carpenter, and, uh, you know, I depend on these people with decent jobs to get a remodeling job every once in a while. They're not going to be doing that. Hey, what about the car uh, manufacturers, the car dealerships who figure, well, I can always count on Joe, the uh, douche bank uh, vice president, to come in and buy a new uh, car every couple of years? Well, maybe not anymore now that he's fired. Hmm. So, you know, this is going to have effects throughout, you know, German economy first, European economy next and the world economy after that. And Douche Bank ain't the only bank going out of business. Here, Wells Fargo ought to be, uh, uh, they should have been put out of business for the shenanigans they pulled, but of course they're too big to fail, right? Anyway, how about this? Let's get on to some more news. Gun show customers' license plates come under scrutiny. Federal agents enlisted local police to scan cars, plates at shows, and parking lots. Federal agents have persuaded police officers to scan license plates to gather information about gun show customers. Government emails show raising questions about how officials monitor constitutionally protected activities. Emails reviewed by the Wall Street Journal show agents with the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency crafted a plan in 2010 to use license plate readers devices that record the plate numbers of all passing cars at gun shows in Southern California, including one in Del Mar, not far from the Mexican border. Agents then compared that information to cars that crossed the border, hoping to find gun smugglers. According to the documents and interviews with law enforcement officials with knowledge of the operation, the investigative tactic concerns privacy and gun rights advocates who call it an invasion of privacy. See, that is a violation of your Fourth Amendment, folks. They are collecting information without a warrant upon you to be used to pull you over and create an investigation. They say, basically, without saying it, that just by being at a legal gun show, buying legal guns, 
you have given them reasonable suspicion to investigate you when you cross the border. Well, you cannot create reasonable suspicion by being engaged in a legal, constitutionally protected activity, by the way. So this is what's going on with the help of your local law enforcement. So you know what? Uh, when you go into the gun show, you might want to just cover your license plate. And if they ask why, tell them why. Well, get something to obscure it. Something, you know, I don't know what the answer is to this, but hey. Well, you'll be very glad to know your tax money. You know, I, I drive down the Oregon Highway here, I-5. You know, it's just the quickest way through town, you know, to get from one end of town to the other. Um, they keep having this sign up there. It never it never goes away because they're always dicking around with something. Uh, your your tax money at work. You ever see those signs? Yeah, and I'm always, uh, you know, every time I see that, I, I flip it off. You know, stupid, it's just a sign, but still makes me feel better. Because you know what? My tax money being spent on crazy, stupid things that aren't needed when the whole civilization is crumbling, it, I'm not for that, okay? I'm not happy about that. But anyway, here's another thing of your tax money being spent. Starting today, October 3rd, the United States military will pay for gender reassignment surgery for transgender soldiers, a program that could cost up to $8.4 million a year. The Defense Department's policy states that if a soldier's ability to serve is adversely affected by a medical condition or medical treatment related to their gender identity, they are eligible for reassignment surgery or hormone therapy subject to the commander's approval for the timing. How many people does this cover? By the RAND Corporation's estimate, in a June 2016 study, there are between 1,320 and 6,630. Jeez. Okay, so let's call it 6,000 because, you know, if they think there is, then there, then there is, okay? Of those, between 30 and 140 would prefer hormone treatment and 25 to 130 would seek surgery. Unbelievable, folks. This is what the military is paying for? you got to be kidding me. Okay, hey, Presidential Debate Commission finally admits Trump's mic was messed up. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure it was nothing but a big, fat accident because, gee, it's hard to find good help these days at these professional television studios that make hundreds of millions of dollars every year. Oh, yeah, it's tough to find a mic to work or, or some qualified person to, to work it. And Hillary's didn't have any problems. The Commission on Presidential Debates reported on Friday that there were, in fact, issues with Donald Trump's microphone at the debate Monday evening at Hofstra University in New York. Following the debate, Trump told the press that they gave me a defective mic. Did you notice that? My mic was defective within the room. Was that on purpose? Uh, hmm, I don't know. Hey, Democrats, you know, these dirtbags, they don't have any problem, right, with, uh, you know, doing uh, 
voter drives at the border, voter drives at, you know, uh, jails, voter drives, you know, I mean, oh, yeah, the Democrat from uh, Virginia says, hey, felons can vote in Virginia now. You know, they don't have any problem doing that. But now they're all pissed off because uh, in Florida, in Pinellas County, they're doing a voter drive, and they're having it at Chick-fil-A restaurants. And they're complaining because, you know, only conservatives like chicken sandwiches. That's right. It's a, it's a known fact, folks. This is liberal uh, genius class 101, okay? Liberal genius class 101. Uh, everybody knows liberals do not eat chicken sandwiches, okay? So this is obviously uh, sexist, racist, something. It's something bad because, well... Uh, you can't have voter drives at a Chick-fil-A restaurant because, well, it's, everybody knows chicken sandwiches are conservative by nature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll leave you with that, and I'll be back again tonight. We do two hours uh, tonight. We'll have Dean on in the second hour, so I hope you'll be there. That's 8 p.m. Pacific. But coming up next is uh, Roy Ben Shadler with Constitutional Crusaders and... Uh, I'll see you later. As always, thanks for listening. religious and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Americans. We need 
your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com. Or simply call 316-619-4886. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and still all-around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is Monday, October 3rd, 2016. It is the 3 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. If you're listening some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust your clocks accordingly. This is a live call-in show. Calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is we, of course, still give that exemption to members of Media Matters and the Southern Poverty Law Center, as well as those government agents that are paid to listen to the show, because after all, if we required them to think, well, that would create a hostile work environment. We don't want to be responsible for that. But if you'd like to call in, the number is real simple, 1-800-932-1980, or you may send a Yahoo Instant message through the new Yahoo Messenger. I've been getting some complaints from some people. I can't reach you through Yahoo Messenger. Are you using the new Yahoo Messenger? I didn't know there was a new Yahoo Messenger. Well, yes, 
yes, there is. Uh, the old one doesn't work anymore. So anyway, the new Yahoo Messenger, the it's the same ID, KC7AQK, and that comes directly to me. As is our want, my friends, we like to open this show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy quote. If the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. Hmm. Twin spin, my friends. Quote, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable. End quote. Okay, the first one was George Washington. The second one was George Orwell. Notice how one led right to the other. Okay, we got 21 pages in our show newsletter. Your calls, instant messages, and whatever else happens to come across the transom. And we will get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. Okay, my friends, remember, my job is very simple. It is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable, and I do it the same way you do it, my friends, by asking questions. But you can only continue to do so if you continue, and for a great many of you, begin to support this show. You know, it's as simple as that. And speaking of supporting this show, just as an announcement, just so you're not caught unaware... I will be here, unless the creek rises or they come and take me away again, next Monday. But the following Monday, I'll be coming back home from a conference in Long Beach, California. I know, ugh, California. Anyway, so um, I just uh, giving you a heads up so you don't know it. So, or you do know about it, and you're not, not surprised. There we go. Sorry. Okay. It is the first Monday of the month, my friends, and that means, yeah, we didn't have one last month because I didn't do a show on the first Monday of the month but because it was a holiday. So that means it's time for the monthly disclaimer. You know, I've noticed a very disturbing trend. You know what that trend is? In the recent past, there's been more and more stories about people being arrested, molested, and inspected in ways that they don't want to be by our benevolent governments here in the United States and elsewhere. And it's beginning to make it look like 
the book 1984 is being taken as an instruction manual rather than a warning. So, because of this, we're facing more and more thought crimes, which means that I need to, once again, make it perfectly clear, and I guess with this uptick in crime think police state tactics, well, I need to make this disclaimer, which applies to everything I've said or done from the beginning of time until such time as I tell you otherwise. This is a very important reason why I'm doing this, my friends. I ended up spending 11 months in a federal penitentiary camp, and it was no club fed, okay? You know, they call it club fed, but it was no resort club, trust me. And I went there for one very important reason. I could not come up with anything that I said on the air that this was a political talk show, and... I, I kept saying, but the whole network's political. Well, you didn't say it, so therefore it doesn't count. And I'm like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. And there I am. So here it is. Your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, that would be me, is in no way threatening any kind of physical, mental, or emotional harm, i.e. a thought crime, to any elected pollutician or bureau rat. And if you, as a pollutician or bureau rat, feel that I have been, then that feeling is based purely upon the limited functioning of your own depraved and shoe-sized IQ mind. If you feel threatened... by the likes of a harmless political commentator like me, then you really need to get out of the leech business and do something productive. You know, like mowing lawns or painting over graffiti or offering yourself as a live target to DHS so they can become less queasy over shooting Americans. Now... For those of you who say that what I just said is an example of thought crime in and of itself, no. It is political speech and satire, unfortunately. Due to the totalitarian nature of the Orwellian world we now live in with doublespeak, ingsoc, doublethink, and things like homeland security, which is, by the way, taken right from the Nazi Germany homeland department, Well, the satire I do is becoming, not because of anything I am saying or doing, but by the actions of a more aggressive and totalitarian ministry of love that locks people up because of perceived threats, well, the very thing I started out as satire years ago is now the new thought crime. Welcome, my friends. To the new reality, Big Brother is here, Cult of Personality is here, Ingsoc is here, Prism is here, Metadata is here, NSA's X-Key score is here. Is it any wonder I close the show each week the way I do? Now, if any of this has been confusing, or the terms unfamiliar to you, or the meaning behind what I'm saying might feel obscure then at the very least, read the Wikipedia page on 1984, or better yet, read the book itself until these terms and their meanings become familiar to you. I give you a warning, however. 
Becoming familiar with them will, if you truly deeply understand these terms and concepts, that will prevent the last sentence of the book from happening to you like it has happened to far too many of our fellow men. Okay, it's a first Monday. This is the Monday I gather those stories that are along this line to illustrate the very thing that I just gave a disclaimer about here. And here's the first one on thought speech. This is insanity. The word man is being banned at Princeton University. You know, there's a quote. It's this, quote, It's a beautiful thing, the destruction of words, end quote. And of course, that is from George Orwell's 1984, where free thought could constitute a crime in the totalitarian state of Oceania. That's not necessarily the case on the campus of Princeton University in New Jersey yet, But they're doing their part in banning words to foster a more inclusive community, whatever the heck that means. The first word on the chopping block is man, because after centuries of it being used to describe the various socioeconomic factors associated with human civilization for centuries and not offending anyone, the word is now uh, uh, problematic to some social justice folks. Yet, the college fix has more on this. Here's what they said. Instead of using man, employees are told to use words such as human beings, individuals, or people. Other guidelines, instead of man and wife, use spouses or partners. Switch out man-made with artificial, handmade, or manufactured. Don't use the verb to man, as in to work something. Instead, use to operate or to staff. Throw out workmanlike and replace it with skillful. The memo goes on to list a variety of occupations that typically include the word man in them and offers replacement. Business person instead of businessman. Firefighter instead of fireman. Ancestor instead of forefathers. And so on. Yes, consistent with, oops, went a little too far, consistent with style guidelines used by Princeton's Office of Human Resources and Office of Communications as endorsed by the Institutional Equity Planning Group. I have a feeling we're going to hear more about this in the future, my friends. As a preferred university practice, HR has developed these gender-inclusive style guidelines to be utilized by all HR staff members in HR communications, policies, job descriptions, and job postings, the memo states. Well, 
In a statement to the college fix, John Kramer, Princeton's director of media relations, said the guidelines, quote, reflect the university's initiative of fostering an inclusive environment. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> you know, seriously. You've got to be kidding me. Really. Here is, and I have it right here in the show newsletter, the guideline of generic terms and expressions. On the left is the don't use. On the right, use this instead. So we have average man. No, average person, ordinary person. Best man for the job. Nope, 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 nope. Best person for the job. Layman. Oh, oh, gasp. No, no, no. Layperson or non-specialist. Man, when referring to humanity. Oh, oh, oh. Nope. Human. Oh, wait, wait. They missed one. Human beings. Humanity. Humans. Individuals and people. Hmm. They missed a few, my friends. Man and wife. Spouses or partners. Man hours. Person hours, work hours, mankind, hue, mankind. Hey, you missed another one. Man-made, artificial, hand-made, manufactured, synthetic. I missed another one. Manpower, personnel, staff, workers, workforce, to man, to operate or to staff. And finally, workman-like, skillful. Hmm, yeah. And they're not the only college that's adopted this agenda of political correctness. Heat Street reported this way. A number of other universities have established similar guidelines in an effort to promote gender-inclusive language, including UNC Chapel Hill, the University of Tennessee, and Marquette University. Yale, another member of the Ivy League, has faced student-led efforts to reform its English literature offerings because too many of the English authors studied in the courses are white. Men. Oh, gasp. Oh, my goodness. You know, my friends, I don't know if it's still going. I forgot to check it, but this just reminded me. The social justice monkeys, and yes, I'm using that term pejoratively and unashpashedly and with no apologies, have hacked or did hack Google search. Bing search and Yahoo search so that when you, uh, uh, oh, and by the way, don't run off and do this like if you're at work where other people might look over your shoulders or you're at home where your children might look over your shoulders, okay, because some of this is rather graphic, okay, so I've given you a warning, but a little while ago they hacked it so that when you looked up European people, it showed a whole bunch of African tribal stuff, including caricatures engaged in copulation. I'll just make it that way, okay? When you looked up white man, white woman, it showed lots of interracial couples mixed together, and again with photographs of interracial copulation, which is why I'm telling you, don't do this if it, your work, etc. 
And what was the third one? There was a third one. Um, okay, uh, European uh, people. Uh, oh, yes, American inventors. That was the other one. American inventors. And the, the, there's none. It's all black people that didn't do inventions. Oh, and I just remembered, on the European people, at least on two of the three, the very first one out of 25 or 30 uh, black people being shown for European people, the very first one that wasn't black was Adolf Hitler. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. See, this is where this thing is leading, my friends. It's going to get ugly out there. It's going to get ugly. That's all I can say. Okay. Next, first Monday story, Hillary poised to shut down Breitbart. Mm -hmm. No one in America can afford to think that blank won't happen here. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. You can't afford to think that it won't happen here because the unthinkable is happening with no end in sight. And if Hillary Clinton is elected president, she will take the final steps to destroy this country in ways we can't even imagine. Not that we have to imagine, since Clinton is giving us clues. The Daily Caller reports on a fundraising email from Christina Reynolds, Clinton's communication director. The fundraiser notes that while the conservative media may not express ideas the campaign agrees with, such media has a right to exist, sort of. And, well, gee, thanks for you know the endorsement that we have a right to exist. Because I doubt they actually believe that anyone who disagrees with them has a right to exist. But they need to inch their way forward into hell, bit by bit, dragging us all along with them. And as long as they drag us along, we find that the conservative media has a right to exist meme has at least one exemption. Well, more, no doubt, to, to follow. And that is Breitbart News. It's been singled out as an entity that apparently does not have the right to exist. Here's what she said. Breitbart is something different. They make Fox News look like a Democrat Party pamphlet. They're a different breed altogether, not just conservative, but radical, bigoted, anti-Muslim, anti-Semitic, conspiracy peddlers who have never been and never should be anywhere near the levers of power in this country, end quote. Yep. One of the goals of the Clinton campaign, Reynolds says, is to ensure that Breitbart is destroyed. She went on, quote, it goes without saying that we have to beat these people, but I want to beat them so decisively that their kind never rises again, end quote. Now, Reynolds' aggressive attack was sparked by a Republican nominee, Donald Trump's decision to shake up his campaign by bringing on Breitbart Executive Chairman Stephen Bannon to serve as his campaign CEO. And just how will Breitbart be beaten so <clears throat> decisively? And how will the left ensure our kind never rise again? And who is our <clears throat> kind and how will Breitbart and inevitably others be destroyed? And how will Americans react? And how will reactions be tolerated or not? And so on. Yeah, we are 
teetering on the edge of a precipice, my friends. And I pray that God has not removed his hand from America. But I'm not feeling so confident these days. What can I say? And speaking of Breitbart... Yes, Breitbart Magazine reports that, and by the way, that report wasn't from Breitbart. No, it was from the American Thinker. And speaking of Breitbart, they report Parenting Magazine warns that blonde, cheerful families are dangerous and likely right-wing. Oh, yeah. Parenting Magazine, Baby and Family has told readers to beware of families who are inconspicuous and cheerful as these warning signs indicate they are right-wing and thus dangerous. Depicted with illustrations featuring solely blonde women and children, the report says ordinary parents must take action against right-wing families and make it clear that their ideology has no place in the world. Inserting that term, right-wing, stirs up anxiety and brings to mind burning refugee homes, skinheads, and the National Socialist Underground, NSU group, who carried out a string of violence attacks on foreign people. Baby and Family notes that people, quote, rarely connected with women, family, and children, end quote. This... <clears throat> The high-circulation German magazine declares, quote, is precisely the great risk, end quote. And such people are just as dangerous, if not more so, as gangs of Nazi skinheads. Mm-hmm. The identifying features of right-wing families, it contends, are that they are inconspicuous, blonde, cute, and engaged, end quote. Yeah. Michaela Kotig, a, a sociologist and researcher of right-wing extremism at the Frankfurt University of Applied Scientists, alleges, first of all, right-wing families are nice and dedicated, end quote. Yeah, yeah. Researcher of right-wing politics, Eva Prosner, says a huge danger of right-wing families is that they seem normal. And because of this, she says many parents will have already established good relations with them to the point that they are, quote, no longer marginalized and at worst get support, end quote. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you the rest of this, my friends, because you really want to probably get a chance to call up your friends and neighbors, etc., who maybe might be some of these right-wing extremists so they can hear about this, my friends, and hear just how they are being described in Parenting Magazine. Because this is exactly what I mean by the thought police, my friends. We have an instant message. Let's see if we can get to it really fast. Them dirty, rotten, happy, cheerful people, exterminate them! Yeah. <laughs> Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's, that's where it's going, my friends. So, you stay right where you're at, because when we come back, I'll finish this up, because I'm not done with it yet. You've got to hear the rest of this. Exactly 
how your extermination is being planned right now. Don't you go anywhere. This is the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network, and we will be right back. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom You just defended yourself with a gun. The police are called, and you're potentially involved in a homicide, but it was self-defense. At this point, you are not in your right mind. No one ever is when they are in fear for their life and defend themselves. Anything you say can and will be used in a court of law, both civilly and criminally. Fortunately, you have SelfDefenseFund.com. We are the National Association for Legal Gun Defense, and we protect our members nationally in all 50 states up to $1 million per incident per member. Let us do the talking for you and visit selfdefensefund.com. Any weapon, any state, any time. Worried about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Back to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor, and still all around pain in the rear and the bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Just a friendly little reminder, next Monday, the 10th, unless the creek rises or they come and take me away again, I should be here. But the 
following Monday, the 17th, I won't be. I'll be on my way back from a conference down in Long Beach, California. And unfortunately, it's the only way that I could attend this conference was to stay an additional night and come back on Monday. So I'll be in transit, and it'll take me almost all day to get back home. Fun, fun. Happy, happy. Joy, joy. Okay. I hope that you took the opportunity to contact someone and say, you really got to be listening to this. And to all those people that were contacted, this is what your friends were trying to tell you about. I am reading a report from uh, about an article in Parenting Magazine, which warns about who and what right-wing radical racial extremists are and who they are. So, going on with that report, it says, while there are different types of right-wing families, baby and family, that's the, the magazine from Parenting Magazine, asserts that daycare centers should Always seek help when dealing with them. Yes. And here's part of the them. Quote, the right has many forms. The definition of what is extreme and what is not is difficult, the magazine says, but asserts that all manifestations must be dealt with because right-wingers could spread their views when meeting with other parents in the playground. We have an instant message. Let's see. Do they ever mention why right-wingers are cheerful? Hmm. I'm not sure if I remember that specifically part. Let's let's find out. I I, I remember the 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 part about extremists, but I'm not sh- sure if I remember why they say that right wingers are always cheerful. Well, let's let's find out here. I because I, I just don't remember that specifically. I apologize. Okay. So, spreading their views when meeting with other parents in the playground. That's where we were. So. Heki Radvan of the controversial Amadou Antonio Foundation warns that, quote, children of right-wing parents are not necessarily different from other children, but says they are often very obedient and might not talk much. Hmm, that's highly suspicious, that's for sure. Despite asserting that such children are not outspoken, the experts wheeled out by the magazine warn that a sinister aspect of right-wing parenting is that they... Oh, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? No, seriously. Are you sitting down? Here we go. Here is the sinister aspect of right-wing parenting, it is that they instill self-confidence in their progeny. Yeah, they do this, Prosner posits, in hope that, quote, their offspring will later confidently carry their ideology into the world, end quote. 
Let that sink in for a moment. Their offspring will confidently carry their ideology into the world. Yeah. Kotig explains that right-wing families are not unlike ordinary families in that they teach their own values. The important difference with extreme right-wing groups, however, is that these values are, quote, strongly geared at Germanic customs and traditions, end quote. Prosner says, quote, right-wing kids are aware that they should keep their family lives private. Yeah. She adds that a telltale sign of right-wing extremism is that there are usually no American logos on their parents' clothing. This is the, the German people here that are talking about this. So there's no American logos on their parents' clothing. So in America, see, the, the, the sign, telltale sign is that there would be no other logos but American logos on, on clothing, you see. So that, that's the way it would be in America, you see, my friends. So this is not to say that there aren't visual signs which can indicate a child is from a right-wing family. However, the researchers point out, and Prosner warns, that while most people won't recognize them as such, quote, accurate braids and long skirts serve as a warning sign that a child has right-wing parents. The report advises that some ways in which daycare centers can prepare for the event that right-wing parents register their children with them, it advises introducing a policy and mission statement to set out values for which the nursery stands. Mothers and fathers should get involved in the parents' council to take action against right-wing parents. Baby and family notes, they should, quote, not be afraid to confront right-wing parents directly. The magazine states, yeah, Kotig says, even if it is difficult, you should immediately set limits, say that you do not want to hear this. Yeah, Radvan, her accomplice, meanwhile, declares, quote, understanding has no place in such situations, end quote. Are you catching the implications here, my friends? Thomas Feist, Minister of Parliament for the ruling Christian Democrat Party, the CDU, requested that the government stop funding the Antonio Amadeus Foundation, pointing out that the supposed charity hosts and rewards threats of violence and denunciations of people on its website. Oh, a voice for reason. Interesting. The body was founded, that is the body of the CDU, was founded and run by ex-Stasi agent Anata Kahane, who was declared that it's vital for the European Union to change its immigration policy in order to turn the continent non-white. She said, Quote, this is very important. You have to change the educational system and the self-understanding of the states. They are not only white anymore or only Swedish or only Portuguese or only German. They are multicultural places in the world, end quote. Well, 
Despite how, as Feist points out, the far-left organization's website is now singling out the CDU and some of its pol politicians as dangerous and right-wing. The foundation runs the government's crackdown on people who criticize open-door mass migration and the violent behavior of migrants toward the German people. I will stop at this point, my friends, and I will put my finger on my chin, and I will go... Hmm, hmm, he says as he ponders what was just read. Hmm, could this be part of the problem of why Germany has been overrun by hordes of, well, dare I say it, mongrels? Hmm. Savages, <laughs> people that have been marrying their first cousin for 1,400 years and inbreeding like that. <laughs> Is that hate speech that I just did? According to these people, it's hate speech. But it's not hate speech. It's truth. It's fact. It is political speech, my friends, and that's why this is a First Monday story. And here's the last First Monday story. Amazon, you've heard of that, the company, not the river. Amazon can't fix negative Hillary reviews fast enough. Have you heard about this, my friends? You know, sometimes having friends in high places can only get you so much. Take Hillary Clinton, for example. Take her, please, actually. Uh, after she was savaged in the reviews of Amazon about her, 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 quote-unquote, her latest book, Stronger Together, the behemoth, Amazon.com, whose owner, Jeff Bezos, also gives to the Washington Post, do I need to say more, tried to step in and tamp down on some of the negative comments. Now, my friends, before I go on, can I remind you? Actually, I can. It's my show, so I'm going to do it. I'm going to remind you, my friends, about two months ago, I told you to be aware of online trolls hired by the Clinton campaign super PAC because they were out to troll and stomp on anyone who spoke negatively about Her Highness, the crown prince of the Democrat Socialist Party. Well... Here we go. It's just more of that, my friends. Just a few days ago, well, actually no, a couple of weeks ago, because this story is a couple of weeks old, there were more than 2,000 reviews of this Stronger Together, with 81% of them one star. That gave the average at 1.7 stars. Well, this just wouldn't do, World Net Daily reported. The Clinton camp argued that the trolls were merely criticizing the book because they didn't like Hillary, and Amazon agreed. So they went in and wiped out almost 1,800 reviews away. Just wiped them out. Deleted them. Well, 
you know, we are talking about Hillary. So deleting things, you know, like, duh, right? <laughs> so that made the most critical reviews just went, push, there, Hillary's fixers took care of that, right? Not so fast. <laughs> Within Hours of World Net Daily's original review, the reviewers started coming in again. And as of press time, the book review still has only 1.7 out of 5 stars, with 82% of the reviews one-star reviews. There's now more than 700 reviews of the book. Here's a few of some of the better ones. I thought I'd share them with you. One out of 5 stars, The Case of the Missing Reviews by Sherwood. Four days ago, Sherwood Reviews, the morning of September 19th, there were 898 reviews of this book. By evening, there were 983 reviews. The reviews were merciless and many quite funny, though mostly accurate. And this morning, I look and there's 209 reviews. Hmm, what happened to all those other reviews? Apparently, Clinton has friends at Amazon. Next one, one out of five stars, Beware by Happy Reader. Strangely, every time I opened this book, I was hit with a wave of nausea, followed by uncontrollable coughing. I believe it is a horcrux. Take caution, friends. Next review, one out of five stars. It came with a certificate, dot, 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 by, by the one reviewer saying, I ordered this book from the Clinton Foundation for $2.5 million. It came with a certificate good for one free ambassadorship and a guaranteed seat on the State Department Advisory Board. I only give it one star because when I received the book, I found all the pages had been deleted. Next one, one out of five stars. Coincidence by Maha Irwin, who wrote, I was absorbed reading Stronger Together, but by page 30, I had an episode of confusion. All I can recall is being dragged toward my car. The only thing I wonder now that I'm fully conscious in the safety of my own home is, why is the president running mate waving a Nazi salute on the book cover? Could it be coincidence or a hidden message? Hmm. So, will Amazon go back in and fix the reviews again? We'll see. But I'm guessing they won't stay fixed for long. Seriously. Okay, that's the end of First Monday Stories. Now, here's something to consider, my friends. It has now, as of today, been over 243 days since Hillary had a press conference. And that's counting from the fake press conference of March 1st, where she only allowed two questions and they were pre-scripted, hardly a real press conference. So if you want to go back to the last real press conference, well, it's over a year, my friends. So don't forget, as of today, it's 36 days to Election Day on November 8th. Can Hillary K -K -K Clinton hope avoid a press conference for another 36 days? Hmm? At this point, it looks like it. And don't forget also, the judge over her email case has allowed that the majority of the <clears throat> recovered emails will be released after November 8th. Can you say the fix is in? Sure you can. I knew you could. Now, my friends, I was given a warning 
that I should be careful saying what I just said. Because I could be hit with some kind of a copyright infringement for saying that. Except for one thing. This is satire, my friends. This is political commentary. It's not a copyright thing. And if you think it's a copyright thing, you know, I got just a few words for you. Bring it on. Come on. Let's go. Because I've given my disclaimer that this is satire. And it's political speech. And it's free speech. So get over it. Okay? Anyway, okay. The debate. Yeah, there was a little debate last week. Last Monday, as a matter of fact. Did you notice how staged it was? Did you notice or did you know? Did you know? Did you find out that Hillary was given questions weeks in advance? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Holt came out, and the first words out of his mouth were a lie. He says, the questions are mine and mine alone. I have shared them with nobody, including the candidates or the Council of Presidential Debates. First thing out of his mouth was a lie. Yeah. See... Donald Trump has been arguing for over a year that the lamestream media is biased and corrupt. And whether he's talking about CNN, PMSNBC, or anyone else, the assertion is applicable for everyone trying to unfairly help Hillary win this election. And that moderator, Lester Holt, proved to millions of voters that he helped rigged the election in favor of Hillary Clinton. Now, this is not a wild claim or a theory. Yeah, there's statistics and analysis to prove how unfairly he treated Donald Trump, but there's another little development. See, sources are now reporting that Hillary Clinton was given the debate questions a week in advance. See, reports are arguing that an NBC intern was seen delivering a package to Clinton's campaign headquarters in New York, and given Hillary's troubles with emails, it makes perfect sense that they would deliver their information by hand to avoid hacking or getting caught. But the problem is people saw it. See, the intern walked into headquarters and went directly to the personal office of Clinton campaign manager Robert Luke. And the intern was spotted wearing a FedEx outfit, but a reporter working with Fox News sitting there recognized her and immediately reported what he saw. And when the Fox News reporter raised questions, Clinton staff called him ignorant and ushered him out of the office and away from their building. So now while he's outside, the Fox News reporter Sticks around, walks around the block, and does not find a FedEx truck anywhere in sight the entire time. Now, this story appears to be true, given how calmly Hillary acted. It was almost as if she had a week to prepare for the questions, and that is why she sounded so robotic with all of her answers, plus the fact that she had to stare at her podium at least 20 times per answer she gave. Hmm. Yeah, she had the facts 
facts and numbers right there for very specific questions, and that raises a red flag. Of course, the lamestream media will brush this off, just like they have about Hillary's emails, her server, Benghazi. You know how the DNC rigged the primaries in favor of Clinton, but you know, we can see the truth. In fact, I got a little cartoon here, my friends. It, it illustrates exactly the way it was. There's Hillary smugly smirking at Trump, and there's Trump with a look of consternation on his face, and the moderator, who is Hillary, is piping up, Mr. Trump, why are you a tax cheat? Mr. Trump, why are you a racist? Mr. Trump, why are you a birther? Mr. Trump, why do you hate women? Yeah. So while Hillary was fed the questions, well, she also got a lot of help from Lester Holt, the <clears throat> impartial moderator that more than likely leaked these questions. Holt interrupted Trump a record of 41 times, either to quote-unquote fact-check him, which he said he was not going to do. Also, remember that. He said, I'm not going to be doing any fact-checking here, you know? Yeah, so he interrupted Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.